If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. We are live with a completely unnecessary podcast for Wednesday, August 13th. The penultimate edition before the one-year anniversary. Yay! Alongside Ian Ferguson with his huge-ass beer, his IPA from Japan. It, it's from San Diego. I'm Pat Contry. You just said it was like Japanese. No, but it says Big Eye India Pale Ale. That's oh. a type of beer. Oh, India. This well, is, I, I this, think this it was... Is, this what? is no bigger than the beer I usually drink during the podcast. Why do I think it was Sapporo for some reason? Because Sapporo is the same size bottle. I don't know... It says, I, I, I don't get Coming it. up on the show today, we Ridiculous. have a lot of topics to discuss. We sure do. Uh, some good, some bad. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, we'll discuss that. We finally saw that, both of us. Uh, Silent Hills was announced. Night Trap Kickstarter woes. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Mercedes DLC coming. We'll talk about Ninja Turtles, the movie from the weekend a little bit, via Rotten Tomatoes. Rise of the Tomb Raider being exclusive to Xbox One. The Sierra label and King's Quest returning. The Women of Gaming calendar Kickstarter. Uh, we'll, we'll preview Rasslin, WWE SummerSlam. Your Q&A as well. So how's everything going in your life, Ian? Oh, things are just dandy, you know. You're two months out from the wedding. Two months out from the wedding. Uh, past weekend was my birthday. I drank a lot. <laughs> uh, but that's okay, because it was my birthday and I remember the whole evening. Um, but but one of my coworkers uh, showed up. You met him, Clifford. Yes. And uh, The Genesis Collector, Cliff. Yes. And uh, he did not have the best night. And uh, I was... <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to mention him by name. Cliff, I'm just telling... He slept... I mean, this is just some fun. He he ended up sleeping on the uh, boss's bathroom floor until four in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So so someone someone's tiki drink did not go down proper. Um, probably because he chased it with a whole ghost pepper. But yeah, no, everything's been fine and wedding plans are going swimmingly. And uh, I'm just working six days a week for the next month and a half. Does this count as work? No, not. This isn't work. This is fun. This is uh, this is times with pals. Yes. <laughs> um, we lost our Patreon. We did on Monday. Patreon.com slash Pixel Sickle. I'm glad you made it a nice name that people can easily. P X L S I C L E. Yes. There's no I. We'll, we'll we'll post it up on the PunkEffect.com and elsewhere. So uh, we weren't sure like what sort of rewards to to do at first. We decided that people always ask about why can't we see the whole podcast. Uh, in video form. And I was always not comfortable putting that on YouTube for various reasons. So that's that's a perk. If you want to support us, that's something you can you get something out of. You can get six hours of video a month from that, direct. Pat didn't want to do it, but I told him that if we didn't, it would show the fans we weren't listening, and we might as well just <laughs> scrap the whole Patreon. Yes. But there's also, like, um, Ian's writings are on there. See, writings you can't put on YouTube. At least not yet. Um, and there's also a tier that if you don't want to watch, if you don't want to pay for the, to see the entire videos, uh, you can see portions that do not make the cut for YouTube that we think are either unimportant or uninteresting or just throwaways. And also I'm going to put ones up on there before YouTube. I'll put a couple up on YouTube before they, you get, so you see them early. 
So there you go. And then, and then the other ones are just for sponsorships. They're not anything else besides a sponsorship. So if you want to, like, basically, like a, like a radio promotion ad, you know, that's what those are for. The same way we do it for the NES Marathon. Because I have gotten emails in the past for people wanting to sponsor. So I think that's an easy way to take care of it is just putting it on there for people to see. Yeah, we hope that people are happy with what we offer, um, mainly because the the biggest thing people have asked for is on there, and I think it's reasonable. Um, we really tried to make sure that everything we were doing was reasonable. Pat and I had actually sat down and talked a couple of times about doing, um, you know, making weekly podcasts a perk, but it's just not something either him or I could commit to right now. So. If, if if you see something that's missing that you thought looked like it was a shoe, and please understand we're doing it because we don't want to disappoint you with pod, uh, with Patreon goals that we can't meet. Yeah, and plus, honestly, if we did the podcast every week, it'd be watered down. It'd be half the topics. Because a lot of times these topics come from the day or two before the podcast. It's just been working that way. The, the Girls know. of Gaming calendar topic that we have for this week came literally like 30 seconds after we shut down the podcast last week. How we or two weeks it. ago, yeah. yeah. And, and so they wouldn't be... They would wouldn't be as long. Uh, I wouldn't be as energetic because it, be, I think, it become more of a drain on us doing it every week. Honestly, right? You know, unless it became like our, this became our full time job, or then hell, you might as well do it every day. And then plus, I hate to say it, we discuss it. We'll have to talk, we'd have to talk about stuff outside of gaming and outside of movies and culture, stuff that people might not want to talk about. At least Ian, like like uh, current events and politics and science and stuff like that. That I have no problem talking about. It, but Ian says he really doesn't want to address stuff like well, that in a podcast. I I, I I warm up a little bit more and pop. I've warmed up a little bit more to politics. I mean, uh, my my views on on certain things like feminism have probably come through in in, in other topics. That's more but, social, but I hear you. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, social political. Um, but then it's also like Pat and I would have to coordinate things that we do, such as Pat would have to start reading a number of monthly comic book series if we're going to do comics. Like at it, the very least, we'd have to keep up with current events every single day and yeah. mark stuff down and sports. And then I may people may not want to listen to that. Our core audience may not want to listen to us talk about politics or social issues that much, even though we do touch them or even comic books. There are people. The whole point is that we try to gear this podcast towards what we think. Not everyone's going to like wrestling. Not everyone's going to like comics. Not everyone's going to like certain movies. But we think we're going to get a nice cross-section of the audience. And that's what, how we, we do this. For almost a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. We didn't miss a single episode. And yeah. for anyone that's complaining about other about the rewards, I think they, they realize that the, 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 sort of, the sort of the goals... If anyone complain about the goals, goal this isn't an Indiegogo, it's not a Kickstarter. The goals isn't what's looking to be funded. That's just what the money can be used towards. Right. It's not an Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Uh, when you're a patron of the arts, you're giving money to the quote-unquote artist to use as they please. It's not necessarily to get something back, or it's not necessarily always set goals. And that's what I understand. That's where Patreon comes from. It comes from being a patron of the arts, if you call this art. So, obviously, the, uh, any any funds go towards direct support, but also, yes, any any upgrades, like stuff you see here. Right. Or we're going to upgrade the video quality of at least one camera. By the next podcast, you will see improved video. Pray, pray to God it works inside Wirecast. But it's also for stuff like funding for trips because there's there's a lot of stuff that I go I go to about four or five trips a year now. Ian can't afford to go to uh, some of those. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, my, my job's great, but I am a fucking general manager of a local video game store. I can't just buy a plane ticket on a whim. And even though five hundred dollars is the monthly goal for the travel expenses, it's like I said, like Pat said, it's it's not a goal. And a plane ticket when you split five hundred two ways. 
uh, $250 does not buy you a plane well, ticket. that just shows you where the money can go towards. Right. We were, we were trying to think of what to do besides Ian's happy handhelds, and that was one thing. Wow, travel expenses, really, that's something that the money would actually go towards. Yes. And that's not saying all the money would go towards that, but that's saying that's at least a, a, a benchmark you can see, like, okay... That's not to say Ian's going to go to conventions next year no matter what. I'll drag his ass out no matter what. There's nothing to do with it. But I'm just saying that's a practical use of where any funding could go. So anyway, so if you don't like if you don't like the idea of it, you don't have to you don't have to give to it. We're not the, the, the amount of content's not changing. The 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 actual audio download would be the punkeffect.com or Stitcher, iTunes will always be there. The videos will be uploaded to YouTube. We're not going to keep the, the the good videos back. We're not going to keep back Ian's rants about Ninja Turtles or Michael Bay or Max or or me talking about retro, the state of retro game collecting. We're going to have extra content available for people that want it. That's it. If you don't want to support it, you don't have to. If you're going to bitch at me about it, bitch at me about it, but I don't care what you have to say, quite frankly. I really don't. Right. I've, I've been around the block enough on the internet to know people are going to bitch about stuff no matter what. And that's it. I don't think you need to be around the block. I think you need to walk like two houses down to learn that. True. I do want to touch on Ian's happy handheld real quick. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we, we discussed it. Um, it's really not something I am necessarily against, but I do hope anyone who sees that and thinks that it's an out-of-reach goal, they need to realize that if I were to do it, it's something that I would want to do on my own. I do not want to do it as a collaboration. And I don't have equipment. So while Pat would have to teach me, um, I mean, it's described in there. You would be funding my equipment purchases for that. Uh, but it's also the time. It's also the time. and It's a it's, time sink. It's a time investment for, for a person who works 9 to 12 hour shifts, 6 days <laughs> a week sometimes. And... Uh, I will do it if it reaches it, but I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to rip them off. It's because when you really sit down and look at the cost of starting from nothing and doing something like that, you really do need some money. To me, it's not just the the, the, the goal is, is the amount of support, though. To me, that's the support level. Right. You, we can't we can't sink you can't sink the time in. I can't sink you know whatever it is dozens of hours to help you do something if only forty people want to see it. Right. It's not worth it. I hate to say it. Time is money. It is. So that that's really what to me what that money amount represents is that's how many people actually want to see that. Sure, you know to that. And, it, if, and hell, it might come to a point where we might get to half that goal inside to do it. You know who knows? Yeah, you know. It, it, but that's just a, a, a sort of uh, mark of delineation that we know. Okay, if we hit that, we know people want this to happen. Right. People really want to see this, and, and we have other stuff going on that. Maybe that wouldn't allow us to do it. Then I could always do a one-off that would make it, you know, once in a while that would be fun. But if it if it's to be something that is consistent, um, you know, there's a lot of costs and factors involved. One one other bit of house uh, housekeeping before we move on. Our last podcast, we had a lot of complaints. We 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 can't realize until we we, we figure it out. There was a, an audio issue, like a lot of glitches, lots of like stuttering in the video and audio uh, last time, which had happened once, twice before. But not to that extent where it was happening almost every minute. And we hope it's solved. And I think the culprit was basically my MacBook power adapter just went. It was fried. Like, it, it, And so what happened was during the middle of the podcast, it turned off. Right. And then I tried to plug in later. It actually sparkled in my living room on my nice rug. That was not good. So I was like, okay, this is done. So so that's where some of this money goes towards. Again, equipment. Even though it's not a lot of money, that's some of the upkeep. And I like these little booms we have. I'm afraid to touch it, though. But Don't touch yours. <laughs> Don't, don't touch us. All right, let's get on with the program, shall we? Program. Program sounds a lot like pogrom, which is not something we want to discuss. Oh, by the way, Frank's on a vision quest to Northern California, the Redwoods right now. He's back tomorrow. He's with, he's with a, without cell phone. I hope we got and some red and gold mushrooms. I real I, I gave my my 
camera, knowing Frank he'll see a Bigfoot and not know how to use my camera. So well, that'll be fun. That's exactly what will happen. <laughs> so, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's start there. Let's start with an upbeat topic. Yeah. Because uh, we saw it like right after the last podcast. It was a couple, came out a couple days later. It was two weeks ago almost. So I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I did a video review of it. I think this is like uh, easily a top ten comic movie of all time. Uh, it, it might crack crack the top five on my list, personal list. But I was floored by the the uh, the direction. The acting was good all the way around. The story was was pretty good. It could have been fleshed out more. You probably have something more to say about it than me because I already spoke about it for like thirty minutes. And uh, I, yeah, it impressed the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, um, so it was Vani and I and two of our friends who went to go see it. And uh, the general consensus leaving was that it was fantastic um, in terms of just action and pacing. And a space opera type story about a ragtag group. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to compare it to something like Star Wars. Yeah, you can. Um, it's everything. You didn't really have a lot of space battle, you know, like like like. There was two or three three scenes. It's smaller, but yeah. um, it's everything that Star Wars wishes it could have been in the modern era. Yes, um, it, which it might go back to with the J.J. Abrams. I'm not know. even whatever. <laughs> but it was charming. It was funny. Um, it was cute. It was action packed. It had great direction by James Gunn. Um, Good writing. Uh, Michael Rooker was fantastic. I love anytime I see Michael Rooker. I love seeing Michael Rooker. Um, the writing was great, and there was excellent subplots worked in. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm being relatively spoiler free here because I know people don't like it when we use. The we spoilers. can spoil at this point. It's been out for two weeks. The movie. Can't two we? weeks. And, and, and two weeks. Yes, and if you want, if you can, that was that, that was a Total Recall reference that oh. you totally missed. I haven't seen Total Recall since I was like nine or ten, probably. Anything so. to declare? Two weeks. Fruits so anyway, so if, if you're listening to this, spoilers, fast forward five minutes. You know, <laughs> I mean, what do you want to well, do? Anyways, I don't have a lot to say that's spoiler heavy because the story was fantastic. But what I, I loved was just things like how the soundtrack was yes. uh, intertwined and how even the lyrics of the songs made not only the tempo and the beat of the songs, but the lyrics made sense with what was going on. Um, as a huge music fan and as uh, someone who DJed, it was really cool to see because it's kind of like this this melding of scene with song yes. that really overlaid, almost like a mix, like a like a like a DJ mix. But it, it was fantastic to see these things it, happen. You can tell that it was the director James Gunn. That's what he like when he was writing the scenes. Those were the songs he probably chose yeah. out front. And Marvel said. Here's the money to go get those songs. This isn't like Sony and their Spider-Man movies where every freaking Spider-Man movie that comes out, you can tell they're pushing the songs on the Sony label. That's happened with all the Sam Raimi movies where you hear shitty songs you never hear again and don't fit at all. Here it was just like, here's songs from the 70s and 80s, some that people haven't heard in forever. Right. Cherry Bomb by the Runaways. I love that song. I love, I love Cherry Bomb, too. That was my favorite song on the soundtrack. It's awesome. Yeah. Early Jackson 5 songs? I mean, come on. Yep. Um... Now, obviously, that was a soundtrack that Vani and I both loved, and it is getting a... Uh, the thing that upsets me, not to get too sidetracked, is if you go buy that soundtrack on CD or whatever, it has a picture of the mixtape on it. Yes. They're doing a vinyl, ver vinyl release of the soundtrack, and James Gunn has talked about doing a very limited cassette release. Why did they release. do the cassette? Yeah. They are going to do a very limited cassette release. That's what James Gunn is saying he's trying for. I'm going to guess it's going to be a cassette door... Uh, a cassette store day exclusive, but um, 
what I don't like is that the vinyl version doesn't use the same packaging. It just looks all gaudy and uh, silly. And I'm like, oh, come the fuck on. You want a big audio cassette on the, on the yeah, vinyl? Yeah, I do, but I will probably buy it anyways. Anyway, so um, I loved the story about the, the kind of the, the, the underlying story about um, Star-Lord and his surrogate dad. Um, Which was a theme running throughout the movie about family. Yeah, family. And uh, I um, really thought something that, that really surprised the shit out of me was uh, good old Dave Batista. Holy crap. We gave him a lot of shit for early in the year I, in his well, wrestling yeah, ability. Because he sucks as a wrestler, <laughs> but I gotta tell you, I loved his portrayal of Drax the Destroyer. Like, he it was, was good. fantastic. He was hilarious. He was poignant when he needed to be. And if yeah. he can... if he, Dude... I'm I'm sorry. Cut cut out of wrestling. Go do more movies. You were you, you were fun to watch in an action movie. I would watch another action movie with your name on it. Um, so that was great. I just I don't know. I don't I, I, minor spoiler. Um, because because Vani went into it without knowing. Uh, when Thanos appeared, uh, Vani squealed and grabbed me like she was just so <laughs> excited to see Thanos on the big screen, and I was too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was. My biggest qualm with the movie was this. It was paced very well. Uh, Fast-paced. Not a lot of filler. Kind of like uh, Winter Soldier. And that sure. that was a compliment for me in Winter Soldier. Uh, I really wish they had slowed things down just a little bit in Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I felt like um, Gamora and uh, Star-Lord needed a little bit more character development between each other. And I think that could be, you know, Groot Groot and, and, and Rocket Raccoon come in with the with the backstory already they've already got a story to them, right? And Drax Drax works his way in as this guy who gets into a fight and then like they become pals, but there just wasn't a whole lot of setup to the whole Gamora well, and Star-Lord thing. I, I, I think she's an okay actress. What, what's her name? That, that plays her. I don't know act- actor or actress's names very well. Thanks for bailing me out. You're welcome. She was in Avatar. She was in the Star Trek movie. She, uh, she's a pretty good actress. Now I have to look it up because I feel like a fucking idiot on the internet now not knowing her name. Um, but I thought it was good that you, you think the story would take a turn for the ordinary with the romance, but then it doesn't, which is which is very refreshing. It is. Because I hate movies where the romance is forced, forced. in. Uh, especially when you always like, like, are we that we that empty that we always have to see a, a romance between characters in well, all these films? So I was happy that it didn't turn that it's way. It's not. It's Very not that happy. it was the. It, it, it wasn't the lack of romance that upset me. It was just the fact that this is the first character he really meets when the the movie yes. cuts in, and they don't. Zoe Zaldana. Yeah. Zoe. And I just didn't feel like they did a decent job initially of. I don't know. I, the, the the group to me didn't really gel until. About two thirds of the way through, and I felt like they could have. I just, I thought, I, I thought it's a minor should... gripe. I just wish that it, it, there, they had kind of there was more exposition on, on, on them becoming a tight knit group. Well, they became sort of tight knit as they learned to trust each other in the jailbreak scene. Sure, that's basically where it happened, I mean, which is, know, was is it, which was an excellently excellent. staged and written and executed scene. You had you had. Uh, total chaos. You had humor. In I it. got his leg. Yeah, <laughs> it, you, you had all these characters running around. Basically, it, it got you a chance to get to know the character's strengths at that time. Doing all the all different tests you performed during the jailbreak scene, which is just incredibly good writing. Yeah, to do that, where you show Rock is good at, at, at doing the little 
doing the machinations of coming up with all these little gizmos, and you have um, Gamora trying to stay alive and kick ass and Drax, and you have Groot be, just being a brute, basically, and you and you have Star-Lord trying to talk his way out of stuff and g- get the leg and everything else, which they didn't focus on, but, and then they all come together. Yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't mind that, but yeah, I would have I enjoyed more, more a little more backstory, and I said that in my full review about that. But I do also like the fact that there was twists and turns, and you, you think uh, you know Michael Rooker's character is just going to be a certain way, and then he shows other sides, and it, it, there's there's a lot of good stuff going on here. I think M- Michael Rooker's character, at least as far as secondary characters go, is probably the best written because they really, I I am rarely surprised in movies, um, but they really keep you on your toes as to what sort of person he is. Yes, um, and his weapon is fantastic. Uh, Vani loved their interpretation of his weapon because he, in the comics, he actually uses a bow and he can actually, he can whistle to change the direction of it, but the whole just having the in a holster. A, a arrow in a holster thing and whistling it out and making it zoom around was, was great. I thought, that was, I thought that was funny. Uh, the liabilities that you think would have been liabilities, Rocket and Groot are actually strengths. Oh, absolutely. They, they were, were fantastic. Uh, Bradley Cooper. They were not Jar Jars or no. anything like that. They were f- even Groot was a fleshed out character, even though he has like three or four words he says. Vin Diesel got a lot of emotion out of those four words. <laughs> and he, oh, he also did the motion capture, too. Yeah. Or I guess as, as much as you can to, to be a treat. Right. But that was great. Uh, Bradley Cooper was great as, as, as Rocket. I mean, yeah, this was a, a movie that when they first announced this like three years ago that this was going to happen, you're like, really? They're going to do this? Bradley Cooper, the guy from all those Hangover movies, I'm trying to put a yes. face. The Sexiest uh, Man Alive of like a couple years okay, ago. Okay, I'm trying know. to put a face with the name. Who's okay. a, who a good actor in his own right. Not, not the best, but he, he's all right. You know, I've, I've seen, I've I've seen, seen like one or two movies with him in him, but yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's, he's fine. He was on Nip Tuck as a, he played a, he played an actor playing a, 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 a surgeon. A plastic surgeon, you know, which was funny because he played at Sleazord. And he, he was fine, but yeah, everything everything came off well. Even the smaller rows. Uh, uh, if anything, uh, the I, I thought the villain was a weak spot. I didn't really talk about that in my review. Kind of a little bit too generic for my liking, the, the, the villain. Kind of like, yeah, I just want to destroy him. You know, I'm not saying he had to be more interesting than that, but you'd like a more interesting villain. You always want a villain that you at least sympathize with a little bit. And this guy, you didn't sympathize him with, with him at all. Uh, about what he wanted to do or why it was just he wanted to kill. Yeah, but you know, I think that, that that's okay for this movie. It's, it's, for, for for a first movie. For a first movie, it's fine because you need you need someone like that for a group to destroy to establish. I mean, like you'll notice they started using the term "Guardians of the Galaxy" towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. You need someone like that that causes people to band around this group, give them a name, and earn them respect, so that in future movies. They're all automatically seen as a unit, no matter where they go. Sure, and then you have less exposition in the second movie. Then maybe the villain can come in and be more interesting, right? Which will come in a few years. We're gonna in 2017. They're gonna announce a sequel. I, I hate it when they announce movies, and it's like in 2017. I instantaneously do the age calculation in my head. I'm like, I'm gonna be fucking old. I'll be 74 when this movie comes out. <laughs> I'm that's old fantastic. already. Whatever happened every two years, you know. But then you gotta fast track it, and that's tough to get the script because it all comes down to the script. Yeah. They rush a script out, and these guys are working up on those movies up until a couple months before still. So the last thing they want to do is probably start writing again for the next one. Yeah. Uh, and then otherwise, well, it does work sometimes. Spider-Man 2 was really good, and that was only two years and uh, a, a month or so out, out of uh, the first Spider-Man. But sometimes it can go disastrously wrong, like Iron Man 2, which was one of the worst scripts for probably these... Could it be the worst Marvel Studios film? I, I, heard, it, I heard it was easily the worst Marvel Studios It was. Film. It was the, the script I mean, was what so... Would he, what would even come close? 
no, I, I, there's no, there's nothing that's close. I know there's a lot of people who are love or hate on Iron Man three, but I think we're, I, we're both love on. Iron I like Man. Uh, yeah. Iron Man three. If you, you can hate the script, at least it's well written. You may not like what at they. At least it's what, interesting. At least you may not like what it does with certain characters, there's but the, at least it's well written. Iron Man two is written like crap. Right. There's there's uh, subplots that they ignore, never come together, or do nothing with. That to me is a bad script. Sure. You know, but anyway, whatever. So good, good on Marvel Studios. We'll see you in a few years. We'll see you next year for uh, Avengers 2 already. I'm actually not super psyched about that one. Well, because the first Avengers wasn't nearly as interesting as this movie or Captain America Winter Soldier. Here's the deal. After Avengers, I was like, that was a good comic book movie. I was like, it's actually a great comic book movie. But I never went back and watched it it's again. Not a great, and at, it's not and, a great Right, and then life. after seeing Winter Soldier, after seeing Iron Man 3, after seeing stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, they really have to step their game up. The fact that it's an Ultron movie does have me... That That's the one part that excites me. I, 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 I like Ultron. Well, they don't have to waste their time getting the characters together. That was basically the first 45 minutes of Avengers. Sure. Was them coming together. And it was very interesting. You know they're going to have the little, the little brawls with each other. And then, the, and then the action was even well staged for a lot of it. Yeah, uh, like Cap didn't do a whole lot. No. I mean, I, I, it was a, Captain it, got shortchanged. Yeah. Anyway. So that's it. That, that's our Guardians talk. Too late. If this is weekly, we could have talked about it right afterwards. We don't care, though. <laughs> so, on a more sour note, <laughs> Robin Williams passed away. And just your little reaction there showed that was the world's reaction. Uh, Robin Williams uh, committed suicide. A few uh, a few days ago, uh, he was under supposedly severe depression in in the past, I guess, weeks for people that were close to him. And this one, hit, this one hit a lot of people a lot worse than I, I figured it would, because because we're, we're at the point now where suicides and people ODing, it's happening a lot or or tragic deaths. But this one it just comes, it, it's it's more tragic just because Robin Williams is a guy. I hate to say he's all, and I'm tired of saying the last guy you'd expect to do something like this. But he's the last guy you expected to do something like this. Then it happened, and a lot of people were just just going nuts about it, especially uh, comedians. Um, uh, Jim Norton, uh, who was a really good comedian, he's been on the Jay Leno show, he's on Opie Anthony, really hit him hard, like really hard. Because um, to him, Rob Williams was a guy that was went out of his way to be nice to everyone. He was one of those guys that um, when he showed up at, he, was, he still worked out material sometimes at comedy clubs, he'd show up. And when he talked to other comedians, he wouldn't talk down to them or try to make himself the center of attention, even though everyone at the table knows, holy shit, this is Rob, Rob Williams. He was a guy that just wanted to be part of the group and, you know what I mean, not put himself above. That's the type of guy he was, according to everyone that knew him. He was just so giving and just... So that's why a lot of people were upset. Even a guy like um, uh, Bill Corbett, who was Crow on Mr. Science Theory, the second Crow, and Rift Tracks, a guy that his Twitter feed is always jokes. There's never anything serious. He comes out, I was shocked to see it. He comes out admitting uh, from this his own depression and his own struggles with depression because of Rob Williams. That's how much this has hit people more than, more than usual. And it's just, again, it's just sad. I mean, I'm tired of talking about people dying like this. It's, that's the only thing I can say. Like, what, what else can you say about something like this? I guess that's... I have to be careful how I word things or else I'm not going to make it through the segment. Uh, Robin Williams, as an actor, was never someone that I, I particularly followed. Although, I did sure as shit love Mork and Mindy when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. 
That was a great one. But as an actor, I didn't particularly follow him. As a comedian, I thought he was pretty funny. Um, I found him very unique as a person. Here was a guy who didn't worry about what other people thought was interesting or cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he named his daughter Zelda after Princess Zelda. If you watch One Hour Photo, there are a number of Evangelion figurines in it, <clears throat> which is uh, an important uh, sort of story to me. And those are his figurines. He was a massive fan of, of that anime. Um, I just can't... Maybe it's things in my life uh, over the past six months. I I can't talk about suicide anymore. I can't do it. Um, I just want to say that there is still this prevailing theme that anyone who kills themselves is uh, being selfish or or taking the the selfish way out, uh, and 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 they're not. Um, if that is your response to someone killing themselves, then you have never known depression. Because here was a man who had people around him at all times that loved him. Here was a man who had money, top of his game, a man who had respect, a man who could have had anything he wanted in in his life. And what he wanted most in his life was to end it. Uh, that, that goes against basic self-preservation. Um, so when you have a friend who is depressed, please don't tell them to cheer up. Um, just be with them. Don't point out all the good in their life because you're just going to make matters... You're going to make them feel even shittier because they know what they have in their life that is good. And when they, when you point that out, when you rub in someone's face everything good they have in their life, they feel even worse because you have made them feel like they are not appreciating it. And it's not that. This is a disease... It is an illness. It attacks your brain and your body, and it makes you think in ways that you shouldn't think. So, I can't keep asking for open dialogue, or I can. I can constantly keep asking for open dialogue on this every time suicide comes up. Uh, If you need someone, ask for someone. Call a suicide helpline, but don't think that you can fix someone's depression with 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 simple words. You have to understand that on their side what you might be saying to cheer a person up could potentially be making the problem worse. I, I think that's all I got to say. I understand where you're coming from, but I think that's people's obviously that your natural reaction because how else do you make someone feel better? Um, but yeah, what it, what it comes down to though what people understand is yeah, it's 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 if it's chemicals misfiring in your head, chemical imbalances, words aren't going to change that. Words aren't going to change. Basically, basically how you're interpreting, interpreting stimulus is totally not wired like the way it should be. That's what a lot of this happens. Um, so with Robin Williams, um, I think it's also compounded by the fact that 
according to a lot of people, and it's well known, he was a drug user for a long time. He was a substance, abu- substance abuser, and he was clean for a very long time. Uh, supposedly, he was clean for about 20 years, from about the mid-80s up until, I guess, around 2005, 2006, I've been seeing reports. And then something happened where he fell off, fell off the wagon. And so you compound substance abuse problems with, with depression. That's tough. That's really tough. Um, and there are people that, uh, fortunately, I was never the type of person that got addicted to alcohol or any sort of drugs with that sort of addictive personality. But I can understand how difficult that would be. And, compa- again, compounded with, with depression. And, so, I mean, he had a loving family and a loving wife. And, yeah, it, it just it gets to the point where, where your mind doesn't matter to you anymore. Which, again, it's a, it's a big shame. Um, big shame. Uh, in terms of his actual... Uh, comedy versus uh acting i was personally never a huge fan of his of his comedy outside of stuff from like aladdin where he was you know brilliant as the voice of of the genie it it was actually his acting that sort of drew me into him um and good good comedians can be good actors we always spoke about how uh comedy is most difficult form of acting it really is but going back to stuff from the 80s and 90s and i really really uh, it, I, it's a really a shame, and Frank's going to get on me because Frank didn't find out, hasn't found out this yet. Frank loves uh, Dead Poet Society, and it's a movie that I've only seen bits and pieces of, and it's an absolute shame that I've never actually seen it, and now I have to see his performance. Um, a movie like Good Morning Vietnam, which I grew up on, and such a brilliant performance, not just because he gets in, it gets in. in probably mostly improvs all his great radio uh, lines. It's the dramatic part of that movie, which was so good because here's a guy that's trying to get along in Vietnam and he, bef- he befriends uh, a, a kid, a teenager who ends up being part of the Viet Cong and having to deal with that and also getting along with his sister. And that's a lot more complicated than what it would seem. And he just, the way he just portrays the whole situation, you think good morning Vietnam is a comedy. It's not, it's a drama. Um, it's a serious one. Uh, movies like um, World According to Garp. You know, these are movies that you hear about all the time, that these are great movies, and then Awakenings. A- a Cadillac Man, uh, a movie, again, that I used to watch as a kid, where he plays a sleazy sort of just used car salesman, but the undertone to that is that his, his, his personal life is absolutely falling apart underneath that. Um, so these are roles that The Fisher King, I mean, these are roles that you think of, of him as, oh, he's a comedian. He, these are great acting roles. These are roles that you put these roles with any other actor, you would say this is a great actor. Um, outside of even stuff like Mrs. Doubtfire. Outside of stuff like Jumanji. Uh, even great performances in movies like Birdcage that I saw in high school. You know, these are just great acting performances, not even comedy. He was even great in an episode of Law & Order SVU that I saw, I think it was from, from a couple years ago, where he just played this sort of maniac um, guy seeking revenge, and he was like a bomb bomb maker. He was like he was like like he was playing like the Joker, but it was just a great performance on TV. And I, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is, and we talked about this before, um, is that un- unfortunately this comes with a lot of stuff with artists and actors, comedians. A lot of this comes from pain. Uh, a lot of a lot of the ability to e- emote. To get in touch with human nature, unfortunately, and it's, I guess it's a blessing and a curse, it comes from human pain. That's the best way you can put out it, because a lot of the greats, great comedians, great actors, th- there's a lot of messed up stuff going on inside of them. 
and it's unfortunate. And so that's why uh, when, when Jim Norton was commenting on this, he was he was obviously very upset. But he's almost like he's like, am I even? He said to himself, "It's not like I could even be surprised after finding out about it, that he was in uh, so much pain. It's like I, I I can't be surprised anymore." When you, when you know he's he's personally known eight comedians that have killed themselves in in his life. You know, Ray Combs was on Family Feud was comedian killed himself. Uh, you know, Freddie Prince in the seventies was a big comedian in the seventies killed himself. It's just unfortunate. It, it really is. Um, yeah, so the best thing I can do, uh, uh, Penn, Penn Gillette from Penn, Penn and Teller said it best. The best way to remember uh, Robin Williams is remember just how funny he was. And I, that's the only thing I do. I remember how funny he was and how great, great an actor he was. And that's all I can, I can say. Go out and watch some of his performances, especially the ones in the movies I talked about that aren't more of his well-known stuff. Yeah, go, go watch uh, Aladdin. Go watch Mrs. Doubtfighter, but go go back and watch Catalog Man. Go back and watch Good Morning Vietnam. Go go back and watch The World According to Garp, and you know, and see some of, some of the soul inside the man and what allowed his performances to come out. I guess that's it. All right, you, you want you want to take a short break or let's move on to what's I, next? I don't care. Just go. All right. It's always hard to come back from something like that. Um, this was a surprise. Here's some bullshit about a video game. <laughs> yeah, right. It's inconsequential. <laughs> but it's why we're here. Um, uh, Silent Hills, plural, was uh, just announced in a kind of kind of a really cool way. Um, it was hidden inside of a demo for. It's not hidden. They released well, a demo. They, re- they announced they released a demo called PT. Yes. Uh, and it was free to download. And you played it, and at the end of beating it, you realize it's it's Silent Hills. That's not hidden? <laughs> I mean, well, it's... You don't know you're playing a Silent Hills demo. Yeah, okay, then I just misheard your wording. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know. We're on the same page then. Yeah, you don't know you're playing a Silent... Well, you technically didn't know you were playing a Silent Hill demo. Um... What's interesting about it is the people who are behind it. Uh, obviously, Team Silent disbanded years ago, and it's just been done by third-party companies since, and they haven't done a particularly great job with it. Uh, what this has behind it, love them or hate the man, uh, it's got Hideo Kojima, and it's got Guillermo del Toro, who I I love, uh, especially just for Pan's Labyrinth alone. I will. That's always a great movie. That. I will always love that and, man for that. And movie. he's just done what? He's just done uh, Pacific, uh, not Pacific Rim. It, he, yeah, he, Pacific Rim. He did Pacific Rim. He also wrote along with Chuck Hogan the entire Strain series, which is now a TV, TV show. show on effects. So these two people behind it, plus Norman Reedus, is this is following in the tradition of using real actors like they've done before with Ellen Page and. The one guy I love from Mad Men, but I can't remember his name, that they did in L.A. Noir, where they're actually getting a real actor to mocap and get all the facial textures yeah, and stuff and off Kevin, of. Yeah, and Kevin Spacey coming to Call of Duty. It, Call of Duty. Like so they're using Norman Reedus, who is a very good actor. Daryl from, from uh, Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, um, more importantly would be, uh, what the fuck, what movie? Um, Usual Suspects. That's what I always remember. Oh, that's right. I always remember him from Usual Suspects. Everybody can watch that. But, um, so... What's interesting about this game is, and from what I've heard so far, is true, uh, it's supposed to be very scary. Every game says it wants to be very scary, but Hideo Kojima said that 
in video games, there is this kind of unspoken rule with scary video games where you can make them scary, but you can't make them too scary. Otherwise, people aren't going to want to play them or they're going to stop playing it. They're not going to go back to it and they're not going to buy your sequel. You think so? I don't necessarily. I don't, I don't subs- uh, subscribe well, to that. Well, I also have never played a, 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 a. Other than maybe Condemned Criminal Origins, I've played very few games that have actually truly scared me. So I think there is something to that. Doom scared you? Yeah, Doom did scare me, but Doom scared me not enough to stop me from playing it. Okay. So what he's saying is, is you know, they, they've held back on, on scares to a degree. I mean, enough to give you nightmares, that right. sort of thing. So what they're aiming for with this game is to not purposely stop you from playing it, but they're not, they're not really worried about whether you finish it or you're too scared. He has said that they want to make this game as scary as possible, even at the expense of you not finishing it or basically it not being commercially viable for... Uh, another sequel with that team. And that, to me, is interesting, because I love horror video games. I, I don't like, like, slasher movies, necessarily, but I do like horror movies, and my favorite genre, one of my favorite genres of games is horror games, and there's just not a lot out there. So, I'm very interested in it. Um, from what I've heard, the demo is is very good. And, I don't know, I mean, it's 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 not on a system that I can play it on, so it's going to have to wait for me. Are we getting to a point now? Is it a little? It's expected that we'd make the jump because a lot of uh, games are presented as movies now. Are we getting to dangerous territory though? Now, that now games are sort of now banking on big stars to star in their games. I'm not entirely comfortable with this. If this becomes a trend, I'm not comfortable with it because they try that with movies, and a lot of times those movies aren't good. This is they get a big name attached to it, and it's terrible. So I'm not I'm not a fan of it if that's what they're banking on going forward as a. I guess that's an extra marketing chip to get the, that extra ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent to get the game. Yeah. I think I think it come off it can come off as cheap, and I think it'll get played out after a year or two. Because this has always really started to happen now. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I, I have my fears. I mean, let's take an, an, an a bad instance, okay? Uh, Lollipop Chainsaw by Suda Fifty One. Suda Fifty One was supposed to be the big name developer behind it. Uh, him and Grasshopper Studios and James Gunn actually like was writing and kind of Mm -hmm. basically directing the game and i mean i played i didn't want to because it was kind of embarrassing but i was like this was the last game of his i played i played five minutes of it and the gameplay was just embarrassingly awful (laughs) i didn't get far enough to see how embarrassingly awful the story is you're just done but if you're playing a game with a busty cheerleader with a chainsaw i mean that that can only go one of two ways and it's going to take a real wordsmith to make that go go well (laughs) so i mean i just I, i stopped playing so there's an example of it being bad but you look at this and like i said personality wise some people may not like kojima but he does have interesting visions for games as a game uh, developer, designer, producer. Okay, and Guillermo del Toro is fantastic at crafting a a, a, a horror world. Mm-hmm. And Norman Reedus, really, all he has to do is show up and do mocap and say some lines. So I don't think this is quite as big of a gamble. But yes, I do not want to see these movie style um, splashes every time a game well, is announced. I'm not saying a gamble. I'm saying. Is this what is going to be selling games in the future to mask the fact that the gameplay or game is actually shit? That's what I'm afraid of. Because they do that with movies all the time. They 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 they, they, sure. they they put a huge budget around a movie with someone like Will Smith, like Wild Wild West, and it's an absolute atrocity. I think what's you know? going to sell people on this, honestly, less... I mean, 
the names aren't going to hurt, but I think it's just the fact that Konami is showing that they're giving a shit about Silent Hill again after years of not giving two fucks about it. And I think that's what's got people excited more than the names is, yes, we have big names, but it's more that they are really trying to make something playable here. Okay, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Is this like aliens? Is there multiple Silent Hill towns that are attacking? Silent Hills? That's kind of a Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> isn't, it just an, isn't it just the name of a town? All right, so... <laughs> speaking of games getting another shot, uh, I don't know if anyone here has read about the uh, Night Trap Kickstarter that I believe was... I don't even know when it was launched, but it was blown up yesterday by Frank Cifaldi, who is kind of a all-purpose game lead, gaming historian, gaming journalist. He's he's a video game everyman. And uh, what he was doing was pointing out the problems with this game. So Night Trap is asking for $330,000. Let's go back for those people who may not know what Night Trap is real quick. Go for it. And there will be. Night Trap was at the heart of the sort of uh, uh, video games and violence controversy in, in the mid-90s where they actually used it as an example in front of Congress to, to get, if not banning video games, to help get the ERSB, get the, yeah. get the rating system going. So Night Trap is actually pretty innocuous if you actually play the game. So what you have are, you have a, it's basically running videos at the same time. You can switch between rooms to see what's going on. And there'll be events that you can skip or watch certain things in certain areas of the house. And the whole point is to trap these sort of like almost leech-looking guys that are hobbling around by activating traps in rooms. If not, they can capture members of the people in the house. And one of the reasons why this, this, this game has notoriety is for a single scene, there's no nudity involved. There's no grotesque, grotesque violence or gratuitous violence. It's, it's a girl in a nightie in the bathroom who gets attacked and dragged away by one of these guys. And the violence really occurs off screen. And from this simple scene that by today's standards, you see heads getting chopped off video games every day. That's what caused such a stir in, in, in the midnight. So they, I guess they want to remake it. I, I think this is a group of, of older, gen- uh, mostly, gen- I think it's mostly gentlemen, older people. Yes, they're the fifties and sixties. Like yeah, older game designers. Yeah, and they want to. I think they smell cash on this ironic. We just discussed this word last week, but there's this irony thing about these FMV games that people like. They want to play them, and I think they're trying to capture that market. People who want to play a game that's so bad it might be good. Um. The problem is, is they're talking out their fucking ass. Uh, they initially promised it on like Xbox and P- or PS3 and three, or, yeah, PS3 and 360. Then they stated that those exact same games would be playable on the PS4 and Xbox One, which had people wondering if maybe the games were going to just be DVDs. Um, that, you know, like a playable DVD, they have made some of those games, uh, like a Dragon's Lair. They did that with a Dragon's Lair once. So they inquired, and they're like, no, no, it's it's just going to be playable. That's not possible. They're also saying that they're shipping the game out in paper sleeves. Uh, according to standards by Microsoft and Sony, y- you can't package a game that way. So they did no research into anything before they did this. They don't even have the rights to it yet. They didn't even say that. But they've, they've, they've added these things in the days. They just keep stumbling over their own two feet and, and, and changing and fixing things as it happens. 
as of right now, it's not looking like they're going to fund their 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 well, goal. Let's look at the. They want three hundred thirty thousand dollars, which to some people is too much. To some people, it's not enough. This is what's weird about it, though. They claim that to, the rights, I guess, to the Night Trap concept or name, I guess, the trademark, cost them two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get. That seems like an astronomical amount to a game no one gives a shit about that's 20 years old. Right, and I think it's kind of BS. I mean, there's a very terse answer if you read, I think it's a Kotaku interview, where the guy's like, 330 doesn't seem like enough to completely do what you're offering, especially if if you have to pay that much. And the guy's like, well, that's we would be asking for a different number then if that was the case. Yeah, $330,000 to make this game would m- almost seem reasonable without that $250,000 just from that, right? That's going to be from that. So once you factor that into this, you're, you're telling me eighty thousand dollars to do a film production, real film with real actors. Yeah, that won't be easy. Get editors for that, lighters for that, all the rights to to do that, and program the game, and produce the disc, and get the licensing, uh, I guess, fees from Sony and Microsoft to actually get permission to put it on the the system. That's going to cost you less than a hundred thousand dollars, really. That seems just highly implausible. I almost... I want, I want to say it's a scam. I almost hesitate to just because of the age of these guys and how long it's probably been since they've done something. But, I mean, this to me looks like a take-the-money-and-run sort of proposition. Because I just don't see it happening. I just don't well, see that being possible. Well, what gives me pause is that I'm trying to look to see what these guys have done in the past 20 years. Right. You know, these aren't guys that are currently making a bunch That's of games. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that gives me pause because it's, if it's not if it's not uh, malicious, it's sort of a naivety uh, of you know of maybe not knowing what's going on in the game business, right? So. Well, I mean, I think I think that's a lot of it is is naivety, like promising things like we're going to ship you out this Xbox 360 game that's going to work on your Xbox One in a paper sleeve. Uh, not possible from a technical standpoint. Not possible by from, by a standards and practices standpoint. Like you 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 can't do that. Sure. This this almost reminds me of, the, of that. Remember that Coleco uh, Vision uh, Kickstarter from like the fall. Sure, we talked about where that. Where it was a lot of money. It was sort of nebulous where where the money was going towards. None of the good games were on there. It was yeah. It, it was. just seemed like a ton of money to license games that no one cared about, which basically amounted to like an emulator. It was basically going to be like an emulator, right? On, on your freaking what phone without, it was an the, without the proper keypad. It's yeah. just it's just an idea that someone had and saw Kickstarter and said, "F it, let's do it." And the, I you know people, I wish people would just stop and think for two seconds before they fucking acted on something. And then one of the funny things was, uh, they're asking, why wouldn't this be on uh, the Wii U? And his response was, well, in 94, Howard Lincoln, you know, the president of Nintendo of America at the time said, this was a, he went before Congress and said, this was a bad example of a game and it will never be on Nintendo, so we still have a grudge 20 years later, and it's like... That's okay, it's not going to be on any console, so don't I mean, worry about but it. But that just showed how ridiculous the mentality was, because what does a guy who hasn't been with Nintendo for forever have anything to do with Nintendo now? Right. But this, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not the same people, it's not the same company. And that's the person running this project. Jesus yep. Christ, I've been swearing a lot this episode. Apologies. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm not even sure. Night Trap's sort of a weird one, too, just because it's such a cult game that I don't see it ever getting to the point where 
people would even care about it to play even an update. You know what I mean? It's not like an update of a game that people want to see, like Mega Man. Well, I, you know, the you thing know? is, is like, I like games like uh, Dragon Slayer, I, you know, which which is essentially an FMV game. But Dragon Slayer is a famous no, game. No, I know. But Night Trap, have you ever played it? It's actually kind of interesting. It's actually kind of neat how Night Trap works. Maybe in the future. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of. It, it, I mean, it's not a good game, but it it, it does it, it does it is interesting how it works. You know, the, yes. the various locales are security cameras, and you switch between them, and, and yes. it, it is kind of fun. So it, it could be amusing, it just not. I, they just don't know what the fuck they're doing. Whatever. Yeah. And yeah. So. I don't know. They're not going to get it funded, and uh, they'll probably all sit around and wonder why. But, I mean, the. I just want to take a look at some of this this stuff here. Well, you want to look at some of the perks real quick? So, Night Trap contains almost two hours of footage, and being able to switch seamlessly among several tracks of streaming video is not a, is not a trivial task. Access to sufficient amounts of dynamic memory, plenty of processing power, and for online versions, bandwidth limitations are just some of the challenges. And then someone... Which, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling you as a developer... This statement from the Night Trap Kickstarter is one hundred percent bullshit. Because I I can go I can go my video editor and have six streams of video yeah. and cut between one and another at will on my little laptop. Right. I can it's do like that. they're still thinking in the the nineties. Yeah, in the, in, <laughs> in the mind frame of the nineties. This is also why I like Twitter and modern social media. When people say things like this, and this is not the first time this has been called out because it happened when uh, Assassin's Creed was like, "No, making a female model is just going to be too hard." Yeah. Um, you get all these other developers who are like, no, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. It can be done this quickly, and I know because it's what I do for a living. So that's kind of nice, too. Yeah, I'm trying to find information on the page about uh, the people that are involved with this and what they've done, and they don't really have that information here. It doesn't tell you, like, who's actually doing this. And that's what, what to me, just the co-creators. It says, oh, the co-creators are there of the original Night Trap. Yeah. Oh, here, okay, here it is. Yeah, they, they, they worked on all those... Really bad Sega CD games like Slam City with Scotty Pippen, um, Corpse Killer, uh, Prize Fighter, Ground Zero Texas. So I'm trying to find games after in the, in the past 20 years that they've worked on, and that's really it. So these are the guys you're going to trust it to that haven't developed a game in like 20 years, just about. That's a shame because um, this is what gives Kickstarter a bad name and, and Indiegogo uh, and any sort of crowdsourcing our projects like this. All right, so we're not going to see the Night Trap remake. Oh, well. But you know what remake we did see? It's not a remake. <laughs> I finally got a Wii U and hooked it up and played Mario Kart 8. What a fun game. It I, is. I hear you're you're an aficionado of the game, I hear. I am amazing at Mario Kart 8. <laughs> uh, in all sadness, I haven't... Other than to download some content... Um, with a gift card I got for my birthday. I have not played my Wii U recently because I just haven't had the freaking time with wedding stuff. But uh, Mario Kart 8, I told you when I got it, it was the real gosh darn deal. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen that. Like, it's... It's good. It's And it's it's probably... Be- it, it really is better than any version since 64. Really? I, I, I like so. the one on the DS a lot. I played that a lot on the DS. I, I did too, like, I, like I've always said, um, and we really don't need to spend this much time on Mario Kart 8 again, but the DS one just bothered me with its online play. Oh, okay. But I mean, the actual game experience was fine. Sure, it was fine. Uh, I, for some reason, I never liked the Game Boy Advance one before I played it. It just didn't seem right to me in my mind. And the same with, I never liked the, the, the double dash bullshit. 
gimmick from yeah. GameCube. Get away. From, just One person is enough in my Mario Kart. So it's a fun game. The soundtrack's amazing. Um, how there's like events that happen during the race that changes the sound on the fly. And I was talking about you know, with this before, um, which is you, by the way. I was talking with, with you about this, was that oh, I can't remember a game where there were like on-the-fly filters that automatically hit the soundtrack as it was going and it went back, So that are ba- based on events. So, for example, when you're like um, uh, underwater... In, in, in that, and you come out of the water, and the, and the music changes to the bright music, or when the lightning hits you, and then all of a sudden it goes to like 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 really scribbly sort of sound on the fly and back again. It's not loading up a different audio track; it's changing the current audio track yeah, dyna- at that moment. Dynamic. I'm sure it's been done before, but I, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. But yes, this is different than dynamic audio. It's a lot of different layers, filters, and effects. Um, that that can be affected based on what you're doing. So it's a fun game. I've sort of uh, uh, zeroed it on on using the Yoshi motor, motorcycle because it looks cute and it's fun. <laughs> and it handles pretty well. But they're announcing a DLC coming out uh, on August 27th. I'm not sure if that's the Nintendo of America date, but that's at least, I think, in Japan and in Europe. Um, amongst other things, which we'll get into, they're announcing three Mercedes-Benz cars that you'll be able to use. My question is, does this bother you at all that in a, a Nintendo game, there'll be a, a company sort of sponsoring it and having its own cars in it? Um, I mean, yeah, sure, it does. But on the other hand, it, they're not charging for it. You know, I mean, you're free to use it if you want. You don't have to. Yeah, the advertisement's annoying, but, you know, the advertisement only works as far as the people using the actual cars. Yeah, I don't... I thought I'd have a problem with this. I really don't. Because it's not like... Here's the thing. When you're playing Mario Kart, unless you're in the kart, you don't have time to even notice what the other carts that are being used, the action's so quick. Well, you, you can't really even focus on it at a, all. A lot of people love to use the uh, replay editors, which are fun, but yeah, uh, during the actual game, you you might briefly notice, oh, that guy's using it, yeah. the, the, the Mercedes, or she's got one of the Mercedes, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not like they're going to be posting Mercedes billboards in the game. That, I think, I'd have a much more bigger problem with. Um, and it's also, it's it's almost like, it almost feels like, I'm not sure about the details of this deal, but it almost feels like this is part of something larger. It has to be, because I'm not sure how many Mercedes are going to be sold from kids, teenagers, and young adults uh, playing Mario Kart. They're not going to go out and buy a forty dollars to $50,000 car just by seeing it in a video game. So for, from that perspective, it doesn't bother me, because this is the most ineffective advertising right, you can target, possibly think of. Your target market is all wrong. Yes. <laughs> This is a luxury car that, you know, is upper middle class at least, and they're not making their decisions based upon a video game if they're buying it. They're just right. not. But yeah. It's, this isn't like having a Datsun in the game, or a Toyota, or a Honda. I want, I want to play a Civic. Well, this. it handles well on Mount Wario, so I'm definitely going <laughs> to buy this car for my winters in Buffalo. Yeah, the more I think about it, it's just silly. It's, it's just a silly, silly thing. Right. It's, it's silly, and it's stupid, and it's free... And whatever. If you're getting upset about it, there are far better things right now that you could be getting upset over. The other parts of the DLC, though, I'm actually interested in because sure. th- these are real improvements that are coming to the game. Um, I, want, I want leaderboards on the, the gamepad. 
You, well, let's let's, yeah. let's talk about what we have. Drivers will now have the option to display the course map on the TV screen during races. That's a cool thing. That is, I mean, everyone who played the game with me when it first came out was like, "Where's my map?" Yes, because I hate to say it, when I first was playing the game, I was getting destroyed because I didn't know the twists and turns coming up on the map. Yeah, it's hard to switch back and look real quick. That is a cool option. Users will now be able to check out statistics such as their total number of coins accumulated. Win-loss record from online play, and the most frequently selected character overall. That's pretty cool. Any sort of stat tracking, I get into. So and it doesn't take fine. that much effort to do it, and they're putting it in. Yep. Users will be able to change options of other Mario Kart's TV downloaded highlight reels, such as uh, changing the focus to a new character event. Oh, that's neat. So so basically what that means, if you haven't messed with Mario Kart TV much... I haven't. Um, say you check out like a Mario Kart TV, right? And it's focused on the first place player, but you think the second place player is doing some cool stuff or is doing a shortcut you haven't seen before. That means you can take someone else's basically crafted replay clip and then change it. You can change the slow-mo, change the focus. So okay. you can take their clips and screw around with it and get a different vantage point. Maybe not something I'd ever use, but it's just kind of wacky and it's neat that they'd include it. Uh, the order of the menu, this is this was such a thing that bothered me when I first played the game. The order of the menu after each race will be changed to next race, which is then followed by watch highlight reel. Thank you. Yeah, that bothered me just because it was so <laughs> inexplicably weird that after each race, you had to wait, press down to click the next. It's just a little thing that just bothers you that yes. they could fix so easily. And thank you for, that'll save me in the grand scheme of life. 34 seconds in the rest of my life that I'll never get back. And while it's a simple thing, it shows that they, they they listen. they're listening. Yeah. yeah. They figured, yeah, they, they probably didn't realize at the time, because maybe when they're, they're testing it, they want to watch the highlight, but overall, most people don't give a shit. Right. You know, when they're playing single player, they don't watch their own highlights. So why would you do that almost? Unless it was a really cool race. It's like masturbation. <laughs> you watch your own highlights in that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the game will remember the most recent customized cart settings that were selected. Oh, that, that is cool. That is huge. Because that happened to me like a few days ago. I was like, what the hell cart did I select that I like? I forgot the, the details of what I selected. I honestly did. That's a little thing, again, that thank you for putting that in. Yeah, because I switched between like two or three, but when I when I pick one, I usually go yeah. with it for a while, so that's nice. Um, even if the system was powered down, I don't remember it. That's nice. Cool. Improvements to stability of connection and online play to enhance user experience. I've dropped off about a handful of times out of a lot of races. It's been pretty good overall. I was going to say, here's the cool thing. I'm happy to hear it. I have put that game through its freaking paces online. And in the two months that I've owned my Wii U, I've had three online disconnects. That's pretty good. You have to understand that since I got it, probably... The third day in, the majority of my uh, my play has been online, and only three disconnects. So, how I far, mean, that's how, awesome. How far are you from your router, would you say? Uh, not far, honestly. Because I'm about 40 feet. 30, 35 feet, I'd say. I'm honestly only probably like 10. 15. 35 feet, I'm going through about four walls. So, with that said, I'm happy that my disconnects are probably a little more frequent than you. I'm happy with it. I'm also happy that like the races don't really have like lag, it seems. They figured that out where there's not like... The races don't like stutter. It just it's pretty smooth. They figure that out somehow with the net code, right? You know, to compensate or whatever. You don't notice that you're playing. You know what I mean? You're not noticing you're playing online. It's not like playing. It's not playing like playing like a, a game of like like Wolfenstein or Doom from like the '90s where like guys will jump all over the place. Or Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. Or Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat, which yeah. would have made sense if it was a. You wasted our Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat reference on that. It had to get now, in somewhere. Now you know why I'm the one that chooses it. A few. I'm the one that chooses it. We should do Danny Sullivan uh, approves the CU podcast shirts. <laughs> That's what we should do. 
First episode of Geek vs. Geek, if it gets funded, is Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. Well, that'd be a quick five minutes, but yeah. <laughs> we can just play it over and over. So yeah, uh, Mercedes, I think it's fun, it's goofy, I don't care. It's, uh, to me, it's almost as important as the Atari Denny's promotion, which I love. I'm not really going to spend a whole lot of time on this, because we have a ton of shit to get through. As a matter of fact, I think we might have to cut that last one off. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles finally got released, and what a fucking surprise! It got about what I expected it would get uh, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes reviews: twenty percent, twenty percent positive. Uh, out of the average rating was four point three out of ten for the average rating. The audience, and here's the thing: usually, like a a, a movie with like a name like this um, that gets bad reviews, uh, the audience rating is usually much higher. And uh, 62% audience rating is pretty slow. Freaking dismal. So that that leads me to believe that that maybe it was right then. Here's the thing about Rotten Tomatoes is that it's it's an ag- aggregate aggregate score and rating of yeah. All, no, all, aggreg- all aggregates all are kind of rough. I, I I don't necessarily love them, but but the consensus of the critics they usually have a line or two. It's usually pretty damn accurate because sure. they are taking a hundred or more. Uh, uh, opinions put them together, and this is what the average. So they're the consensus of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which means is that they they basically said, what's the overall tone of the message of all the critics? Put it into a blender, mix it up, pour it out into a little glass. Neither entertaining enough to recommend, nor remarkably awful. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles may bear the distinction of being the dullest movie ever made about talking bipedal reptiles. So. I just I'm gonna touch on it real quick. Neither of us have seen it, by the way, so you can you can get honest for that. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I I mean it it doesn't actually bring me joy to see a Ninja Turtles movie get a bad review. I am a huge Ninja Turtles fan. As a matter of fact, my fiance got me a graded Ninja Turtles book for my birthday. I mean I'm I'm a big fan. I'm not no, a number three. Four. Four? Four. Four. With the cover that they uh then used for the Nintendo game. Um and, I mean, I, I adore them to death. I love the Mirage run of comics. The early cartoon is fun. I liked some of the later cartoons. So I wish this had been good. But we all saw the signs, okay? We all saw the signs that this wasn't going to be a good movie. Sure. And I'm going to shut the window while you talk. I am... The, uh, the response I keep getting from people online who want to talk to me is... Well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. That's not be. a recommendation. Right. And I'm going to call someone out here, but only because he's on your website, and he, I'm sure he will know I mean this in, in, in good fun. But Foxhounder got a whole, you know, said something like, wasn't as bad as I was thought, but Ian will probably still hate it. And it's like, dude, you got to convince me with more than not as bad as you thought. Like, I can go watch. Any Ninja Turtles movie or cartoon or comic, and it's going to be way better. Like, yeah, the Archie comics will be better. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have no desire to pay twelve dollars no. for not as bad as you thought. I do not see movies anymore and take a gamble. I don't. I don't. I. It's not just the money that they cost thirteen bucks for a movie. It's my time is valuable. Well, yeah, I don't want to be miserable after a two two hour experience plus trailers, two hours and a half. I do not want to walk out miserable and have it ruin the rest of my day. 
With, you know, I just don't. With Bonnie, I have sort of rediscovered the joy of going to the movies, and I, I actually, I, 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 re- I really appreciate that with her because she she seems to like going, and we've just been having fun going. But yeah, I, I'm not I, I am not that type of moviegoer who's going to be like. Well, it's got a 20%, but I like the name on it, so I'm going to give it a go. And and, and honestly, yes, I'm going to be superficial here. One of my major problems is that the turtles look like fucking dog shit. It looks like like Michael Bay took a crap and ran out into the boardroom and was like, Guys, guys, I need you to come check this out. Yo, that almost looks like Donatello. Just just (laughs) Just imagine it with a purple headband. We can make all four of them look like this. It's going to be great. And, I mean, no, I just... It's not... Look, to a younger generation, if they enjoy it, cool, fine. I don't buy that. I don't don't necessarily care because it's not marketed at me, but this is not what I remember. And I don't think a younger generation is necessarily going to like it. Part of the appeal of the Ninja Turtles was that they were kind of cute, and friendly and yeah. funny, but they also knew how to kick ass. Yeah. And the stories were fairly developed. Look, Jesus, I mean, they talk about how this one has, like, no plot development. The first Ninja Turtles movie, people forget this, oh. there's a whole long chunk of time where they go to a farm to they don't regroup. Fight. Yeah, they talk, like, it, it's Casey Jones and Raph brooding, and there's no fighting at all. There's no fighting. They're, they're, they're like, trying to learn how to be, like, a unit together and stuff like that, and it's just, it's fantastic. And this doesn't have it. And, you know, the only thing that people mention in the reviews that they really liked was the action scene. Uh, I guess there's the, the, well, there is the action scene where they're, they're, they're going down a snowy mountainside. But most reviews say, you saw most of that in the trailers. (laughs) So, like, what am I supposed to care? Uh, I think it's a cop out to say that this is geared towards kids. Absolute cop out. No, because because the best movies that are geared towards children are well written, uh, well and appreciated at- by adults. Appreciated by adults. Another ones you remember twenty years from now. I fucking love Goonies. Sure, that's a kids movie. It's well written. It's also an it's adults well, movie. Well, it's it, it's a yeah. movie. Yeah, exactly. But it appeals towards kids. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I didn't feel like. Wow, this should be dumbed down towards me. There's, there shouldn't be all different characters that have good dialogue with each other. You know what I mean? Never yeah. crosses your mind. You, you know? How about, you know, movies that you remember that, that like, never-ending story. Adults can like it, too. But that's, a, that's like a kid's movie, though. Yeah. So I hate when people say, oh, it's a kid's movie. I, or, or it's a kid's cartoon. No, it, 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 but, it, but it's not. It's, 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 and that's the other thing a lot of reviews have said. Um, the amount of, like, violence, action... The downright lecherousness of the turtles in creepy ways, uh, the the whole April O'Neil thing, like it's not really a kids movie. Like it sits at a PG thirteen, and it's a PG thirteen. This is not a borderline PG PG thirteen movie, is what most reviewers have said. So it's not really meant for kids either. It's trying to go after the nostalgia of the older audience, while maybe trying to catch a few kids in there. Mm-hmm. But it's betrayed the older audience. And a lot of parents aren't going to take their kids to see it. At least after the first weekend. We'll see. It made a lot of money the first weekend, but if there's a huge drop-off the second weekend, you'll see why, because word of mouth will be like, this is not Well, they've fun. already announced the sequel, so we've got that coming, but sure. who didn't expect that? Sure, you're going to try to do that. But, um... Alright, right. I'll see I'll see it on FX in a year or whenever, or, or, or in six months on Showtime when it comes on. You know, I'll check it out. I will. But, no. I, won't. I think when people say, like, like you said, when people say, well, the original one was a kid's movie. No, I mean, like, 
I still remember, like you said, there, there were scenes in it that were for like adults could appreciate. Yeah, there were scenes so that there was character development so that adults could get into the movie as well. And kids also. Kids aren't kids aren't blind to no. stuff like character development. I, I hate when people say that. Yes. I always go back to the G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s was geared towards kids, but it was written that adults could understand it and get, and get something out of it. Yeah, and I'm going to keep this, this brief, but it, it, it's kind of the same thing. Kids aren't dumb. No. When parents come in and go... Well, my kid just likes SpongeBob. And I go, well, it's not a good game. Yeah, but they love the character. I just, it'll keep them happy. And I said, and I always tell, and I do, I tell a lot of parents this, especially if they seem decent. I say, kids smell crap just as badly as we do. I said, this is going to be another one of those games that you buy. They hate and they throw in the corner. Kids can tell quality at any age. Sure. It's, it's different. It's a diff, it's a different idea of quality, but a bad game is going to be a bad game. A bad movie is going to be a bad movie. Think about those bad kids' movies. Oh, no, you, we can't remember because we don't fucking like them. Right. Those dumb movies that were geared towards kids in the 80s and 90s, I can't name them because no one talks about them and no one goes back and watches them. Sure. Case in point. All right. <sighs> Moving on. All right. So on back this action-packed CU podcast. <sighs> We're going to talk a little bit more about video games now. So, we've got this Rise of the Tomb Raider coming out only for the Xbox One. Well, and I saw something today that it might change. It might also be in the 360 after a certain point. Okay, that's still fucking stupid. <laughs> okay, I just saw that reported really recently, as in like 10 minutes ago, but alright. So, here's the deal. I feel like exclusives that aren't coming from the company that has a vested interest in the machine are dumb. Um, I feel like a lot of money had to have been thrown their way to make this an Xbox One exclusive because the Xbox One is not doing particularly well. What was insulting to me was the letter from the head of the team to the fans stating that we still respect our players on the PS4 and blah, 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 but at this point in time, we think the Xbox One is just more suited to our vision. Ah! How? How? (laughs) Both systems are basically essentially the same. The (laughs) PS4 actually runs slightly better. So how is it better suited? Because you got a lot of fucking money? Oh, consolation prize. And I'm sure it's going to be good, because the first one was good, too. You guys still get the weird, like, multiplayer gauntlet, like, dungeon crawler game, you know, Rise of Temple of Cyrus, or whatever it is. But you don't get, uh, you know, Rise of the Tomb Raider. And I just, I don't really have a whole lot more to say on it other than that. It's ridiculous to just purposely limit yourself to one console. I guess the money the publishers got paid for it to be exclusive to Microsoft, they felt outweighed the sales they were going to get on on the PlayStation and the PC. Because the PC's asked out too. Which is a real shame, because when you think of the history of Tomb Raider, it was huge on PCs in the mid to late 90s. Sure was. It was absolutely... You might think, oh yeah, you, in your mind you're like, oh, PlayStation? No, no, PC, it was fucking huge. Yeah. You always saw those games come out the same day, at least when I went to Comp USA or Computer City. You always saw those weirdly shaped, you know, Tomb Raider boxes. Yeah. You always saw that. I played it on the PC. Well, I didn't play. I, mean, I didn't have a PlayStation. I played it on the PC. It was a PC adventure game first. I mean, part of the reason it got so popular was after years of graphic adventures and things like that. It was, here's a console-style game made for PC. The first one came out on PC long before it came out on the PlayStation 1. But yeah, it's just it's it's ridiculous and I I just find the whole tone the whole look, if you can't 
explain why your game is system exclusive without coming off sounding like a fucking douchebag, then don't. I like how he says, we consider you... Uh, uh, this is, uh, what was this? Daryl Gallagher, the Crystal Dynamics head of studios. We consider you all to be the lifeblood of Tomb Raider. No, you don't, because if you considered that, you wouldn't have maybe... You wouldn't cut it off to like 10 to 15% of your... Of, you know, of your of your audience, right. the game it doesn't make any freaking sense at all. No, so I mean, really, there's there's <laughs> not there's there's, there's just there's nothing more to say other than uh, his mouth is full of feces and they are falling out every time and, he opens them. And this is like you said, this is like a triple A title, right? This isn't a small. No, this the, is a big deal. When we talked about this initially, I thought you were just talking. I didn't even know that this was in the works. I thought you were just talking about the little uh, the download game, which. By all means, the first one was really fun. My friend Art loved that one. No, this is this is like a full-on sequel to The Last Tomb Raider, and it's Xbox One exclusive for zero effing reason. Did they see it do that much... The, the Tomb Raider reboot, did they see it do that much more sales on Xbox 360 versus PS3? I just can't see I that I can't happening. imagine they did, because if they didn't... And plus, there's PC sales, too. If they saw that much more sales, they would not have put the PS4, the Tomb Raider Definitive Edition... On the PS4. This is almost mind-boggling to me, how, how tone-deaf you can be. Yes. Even if you're taking the money and, like, oh, this is money, the bad blood you are, you are getting right. from... There's more, there's more PS4 owners than Xbox One, correct? But there's also yes. a hell of a lot more PC owners than I, Xbox One. I don't play Tomb Raider, but I'm not buying it anyway. You know, like that. I mean, that's how angry I feel about it. Like yeah. now, I have no interest in even trying because you're just being shitty to your your fan base. Yeah, I don't get it. And plus, the worst thing about it on PC, no nude code we can download for the PC version. Oh, Jesus. No nude patch. So mind-boggling. Uh, I hope the money's worth it. This is the worst thing I've seen happen in a while. And this isn't even. They didn't even say it's ever going to come out on a Sony system or PC. They, they just said. It's exclusive. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't like four months later, six months, which is still bad, by the way, but at least you'd have a chance down the line. This is, I bet you this is for at least a year or two. Well, it, well, it yeah, has well, to be. One thing I've learned about exclusivity is even if they say, like, not timed exclusive, oftentimes they can find a loophole to make it timed exclusive. But you've still already done the damage. Anyway. Speaking of damage, is it damage? I, I predicted this with the oncoming of all adventure games like Back to the Future. Aren't I supposed Elisa to Larry? on this? Don't care. Sierra, at least the label, is back, baby. Woo! Right, and you can get excited about that until it turns into the modern Atari. Um, so, Sierra's back, and I got a little bit of chills when I saw the little, like, just the preview snippet of the guy approaching the mountain and the logo and all that. And they are doing another King's Quest game, um, which is cool. I just, I am extra cautious when uh, labels are brought back from the grave. Because the label means a lot to a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that much to the people who are working for the new label. Or does it mean anything to fans that weren't around when the label was around? Right. So there's a lot of ways in which this can go wrong. But I will just briefly say that it is nice to see Sierra again. It is nice to know that there's a new King's Quest game. I cannot physically get excited about this until I actually see something. I have to. I mean, because these are the games that I love. Space Quest is like my favorite series of, of games. You I have to. But this is it, though. Because if, if this isn't successful, you won't see a Space Quest game ever again. They're not going to give the rights up. They're, uh, the, the original creators of Space Quest did their own space game. 
Yeah. But it's not the same. They're, they're trying to do a carbon copy of Space Quest, though, but without Roger Wilco. You know, it's just... That's what we want. And Activision, at least they're doing, at least they're not dumb up. Activision shelved this uh, brand for over 10 years. At least now they're at least doing, trying to do something with it. Uh, something's better than nothing. They've realized the past probably, what, three, four years that Adventure Games come back. I'm, I'm hoping, Ian, come on, let me just go with this. They're seeing that there's a market for it. Leadership Larry uh, Reloaded comes out. Does, does good sales. You yeah, know? And, and it was supposedly awful misogynistic and missed all the fucking points that made the original one good. But they're trying, damn it. No, they're not they're trying. trying. No, they're trying to I make want money. point click adventure they're back. Trying, they're trying to make money off I of want, people like you. I, I want Quest for Glory back. I want I, I want Jim Walls coming back for a police quest. I want all of it back. I want Roberta Williams uh, to come back and, and write the new King's Quest. Hopefully hopefully they do. If, they, if not, that'd be <laughs> bad. I want I want all of it back. I I just don't you I dude, I'm sorry. You cannot actually expect that. You you have to set your your your, your excitement level just a little bit. Let me lower. have my dream, damn it. I I try to let you have your dreams, but sometimes I have to shatter. This them. is the only dream I've had in a while. Let me have this one. <laughs> all right. Cuz I I predicted this this day for about 4 years and now it's here. All right, it's here. Go Come ahead. on, Roberta. Come on, Roberta. All right, Pat, go ahead and uh, why don't you give us your opinion on the Women in Gaming Kickstarter, and then I'll give you my opinion on it. <laughs> Speaking of Roberta Williams, yeah, who was, we, we, she wasn't the first to program uh, uh, a, a video game, but she was the first big female in video games, the first to herald a franchise, maybe the last to herald a big gaming franchise, the more you think about it. Um, there's a Kickstarter coming out. It's actually it's funded. It's, it's funded. It's it was it, we first heard about. It. I didn't hear about it the last podcast. It's the Women of Gaming 2015 calendar. This is so fucking. This could spin into a lot of directions. I'm not sure if people will hate me or not for this. Um, I'm gonna hate. You. E- e- Ian's the Ian's the the quote unquote feminist on the show. I'm more of an equal guy. I, I want people seeing the same light. Feminism is equal. This is this is why this bothers me. It bothers me because this goes against what women of gaming have been fighting against for years now where they do not want to be objectified or seen... Oh, he's, he's getting ready to punch me. They don't want to be objectified. They don't want to be seen as sex objects, right? Am I right? That's the argument. That's the argument. Um, so what is this calendar doing? Is totally objectifying the, uh, the mental skills of these women what they've done for gaming in the industry, what their qualifications in the industry are, whether they're programmers. Well, I guess it's weird because some are programmers. No. Some some are cosplayers. Jesus Christ, look at them. Okay, we have a Rubik's Cube speed solver. We have a Twitch channel and YouTube channeler. We have a... Another Twitch channeler and YouTube channeler. Competitive gamer, too, I said that. Yeah, competitive gamers. We have no... We don't have any programmers. Pat, 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 here's my problem with this. It's Okay, I, I know what you're trying to say, okay? You're trying to say that if women don't want to be objectified in gaming, then they shouldn't objectify themselves, right? But you're saying these aren't really women gamers. This this isn't what a women in gaming calendar is. This isn't what he ah. promised. This isn't what he promised. So we are going to be on the same this, page. This is models. Modeling in some small fashion for a, 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 a calendar. Here's my thing. I don't care what a woman wants to wear. If, I don't either. Neither do I. Neither do I. You want to objectify yourself as a sex object? Go for it. Do it in front of my eyes. Jesus Christ. 
Women, a woman in gaming calendar. Here's the deal. Here's my idea of a women in gaming calendar. You find programmers. You find mm. graphic designers. You find artists. You find the people who actually make the games. You approach them. You say, do you want to be in this? Okay? They can wear whatever the hell they want. They can wear their work clothes. They can be cheeky if they want. They can wear cheesecake. It's not up to me to decide what they can or cannot wear. Of course not. What? But my problem is, is this is not representing women in gaming in the way that he described it. If you want to know what my nerdy dream of a women in gaming calendar is, it's various programmers and graphic designers getting their pictures taken around their desks, and then, like, what's on their desk? Like, what kind of tchotchke so, do they have? What games have they worked on? What's their favorite coding environment? What do they graphic design? But, and I don't care if they do it in a fucking bikini, if that's what they choose, or if they do it in a knee-length skirt. And that's that, that's uh, the problem I have with your approach to this. There's multiple approaches to this, though. Girl, yeah, women do not have to wear fucking knee-high socks and an ankle-length skirt to be taken seriously. No, they do not. But if you always rail against me being a serious gamer, respect me as a person who, who has integrity, and I'm just a gamer like you, you can't fucking wear clothes with your tits and ass hanging out and expect me to take you seriously as both the, uh, a real gamer and then see you in a basically a pinup calendar. What do you want me to see you at? Because they don't gel in my mind. They are not. They are not mutually exclusive. They are. If you are a person that says respect me, if you're one of these people that say respect me as a gamer, and, and now I'm seeing right here's and don't and don't okay. and don't so and so, don't, so so and so, don't follow so, because of a sexual sort of inclination. You can't do this. So if there's a female, right? Okay, at her desk. Cheekily wearing a swimsuit, right? Peeking over her desk, right? Peeking over her, like, her office chair, okay? And next to her, she has a list of fucking accomplished games that she has worked on. What she has done and awards she has won. You're telling me she can't be seen as both? That's different. Because no, it, no, it's not. Because that's what no, no. this was originally supposed to be. But, but I'm looking at who's actually involved with it now. Yes, and it's bullshit now. We can both agree that this is kind of a bullshit. No, it's story. totally bullshit. Yes. It's totally bullshit. I was going to say, though, is this, is that your idea, would, would people, is a calendar the right venue to show an actual, if this is an actual uh, female indie game developer or worked for a AAA, would that be the right venue to showcase her accomplishments in a pinup calendar? No, a, a top 50 list in a magazine that doesn't start with top 50 hottest would be the proper way to probably get sure. these people some notice. But I don't, look, if they want to do a calendar for fun, I don't care. And like I said, you can have fun in all sorts of different outfits. Oh, no. it, it's not the outfit that matters. No. It's, 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 if you want to be respected as a gamer, both either male or female, you have to have the accomplishments to back it up. No, I so think... I don't care if she's wearing a swimsuit. I don't care if she's wearing a button-up shirt and a fucking dress uniform. I don't care either. As long either. as it says what they've done. I don't care either. They can be naked, these individuals. I'm going back to these individuals. They can be naked, but the next time they open their mouth and say, I'm not just tits and ass... You're presenting yourself as just tits and ass, though. You're going to roll your eyes, but that's where I'm coming from. Uh, they can do whatever they want, but it's how it, it's how it looks. I think there's there's a, there's at least a tinge of hypocrisy well, here. Well, but, at least. Well, part of the problem is the fact that they didn't get women in gaming. You're, that's 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 a separate argument, but yes, that's what you're saying. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I have heartburn. I, I think we're in agreement uh, most mostly on this. I think we're agreeing on this for the most part. If you wouldn't call me the feminist instead of Ian, I think. Maybe? I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, it really, feminism doesn't mean that you can't wear something provocative. No, it doesn't. Like I said, like I said, they could be nude. But I'm just saying, is the impression it gives off is totally just insane. Well, that's partially that guy's own problem. I mean, this seems to me like a vanity project where he's getting paid to go around and shoot women he thinks is hot with with with, with a camera, not a gun. Just make sure. <laughs> Anyway, fuck it. We gotta, we gotta move on to Q and A. We got, we got, we can do a follow up next. We can do a follow up next. You don't want to do a SummerSlam preview? Let's do it. I'll do it quick. All right. Look, this, this is, is action packed. This but- is what I'm looking forward to. Okay, on on, on this shit because <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to SummerSlam. Um, and I there's there's a couple reasons why I think Jericho Wyatt is going to be out of control for SummerSlam. I mean, so people who don't necessarily follow wrestling, because believe it or not, there are people who don't watch wrestling who don't piss all over us for covering wrestling. They actually kind of enjoy our wrestling coverage. So I'll explain this. SummerSlam is one of the bigger events of the year. It's not WrestleMania, but there's a few marquee events a year, and SummerSlam is one of them. So this is going to have a lot of bigger matches on it. And there's some pretty good ones that are on here. Um... Jericho versus Bray Wyatt, I think, especially because of how they're doing it, how he eliminated the the other two so that sure. it's just him and them, um, I feel like Bray's going to get a clean win. And he, he has to. Yeah, he's going to get a clean win, and he's really going to get... Strat- he's he's going to be put in the stratosphere as far as a heel is concerned. This this is why that match is important, because for, up to this point, Bray Wyatt has talked to talk about being a, a big guy, but he's lost... He basically lost most of his match, his big matches so far. He's yep. lost, especially to like Cena. You know, like he hasn't gone over, in a, he hasn't gone over totally clean in a big way yet. So, and Jericho is a guy who does put over younger talent time and time again. Well, yeah, the reason yeah. Jericho is the best. That's the only so, problem with seeing Chris Jericho against come, an up and comer is you know he's going to lose. You know he's going to lose. Gonna lose. Yeah. Like last time he, he lost, I think to like Dolph Ziggler before he left. Yeah, yeah. You know, last time, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins. Is it is could be one of the hottest feuds right now? Where on paper it's like, yeah, who cares? But when Dean Ambrose comes out and attacks Rollins, the fans go absolutely ape shit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm actually looking a little bit forward to AJ Lee versus Page, and this is because I um, follow NXT more than I follow any of the WWE stuff, and so I like you know Page. Page came up from NXT. Um, I would like to see Paige get the, that Divas Championship. Um, the problem is, is the better women wrestlers are still stuck in NXT. AJ Lee's not bad. Paige is quite good. Um, I'm not sure what kind of match they're going to put on. And as far as the main event goes, Cena versus Lesnar, I got to say, my respect for Cena in the past six months to a year has actually gone up. Because he consistently puts on a decent match... The fans love him. Kids love him. And even the fans that don't love him, it's just he's a guy who's in the industry, and he. I feel like he's always trying to put on the best show he yes, can. Yes, yeah. I, people give Cena shit, but at the end of the day, he's working almost every single week on these shows. Yeah, dude. He, he, I mean, and he tries. He, he, he may not be the best wrestler, but he tries the hell out of every, I try. He, he does the best he can. I think he, that he can. He's the working man's wrestler, yes. and he's not awful. And uh, Brock Lesnar is a beast, and while I don't actually like him much, I have a feeling that these two are actually going to put on a match that's worth watching. I think so, too. Um... I think Lesnar's 
Lesnar, it's so weird because he, he's gone for, like, whatever he was gone for, like, seven years. He comes back, and it's like almost like he didn't really skip that much of a beat. Then again, he's not working with guys like Kurt Angle anymore no. every week. But the fact of the matter is he's he he's a legitimate wrestler. He's a legitimate tough guy. Well... He, he he looks like a guy that can kill you because he can, mm-hmm. you know. And so when he when he beat the Undertaker, and we talked, I think we talked about it. It was like it made sense. Who like who else are you going to have if you're going to have someone beat it? Why not have it be a huge monstrous heel that it means something for? Right. My only problem is I just I hate these part time workers. These I, it drives me nuts. And Brock hasn't done a single freaking appearance, really. I mean, or, or a match at least since he beat. Undertaker, and here's the thing, you're right, he didn't look like he skipped a beat, but I'm wondering how much of that is because Undertaker looked like he skipped a shitload of beats. Well, yeah, Undertaker looked very old at WrestleMania, we know that. Yes. But I think this is important because I think I'll I'll be shocked if Lesnar doesn't walk away cleanly with the victory. Really? At SummerSlam. I'll be shocked. See, but, but see, the, see I, the, I think the match is going to be good, but a Lesnar victory is going to piss me off because here's a guy who's going to hold the belt and he's not going to do fuck all with it for we a don't, long time. We don't know if he got a contract amended where he only has to show up to once a month at the next pay-per-view. We don't. The fact of the matter is a, a loss, uh, a, a Lesnar win does a hell of a lot more than a Cena win at this point. No, it does. And we all know that Cena was a transitional champ because of Daniel Bryan. Right, right. Getting, getting injured, unfortunately. And, and Cena's, Cena's... Brock will make... They're both going to make each other look good. Like I said, I think it's going to be a good match. And I do think Brock is going to win. I just don't like the idea of... I don't like thinking about where that's going to go next. I, I do. Because I think what's going to happen is... It, it, hopefully, uh, Daniel Bryan recovers. A Daniel Bryan versus Lesnar match... Whether it happens at Royal Rumble or WrestleMania would be absolutely huge. It would be beautiful, but that, I feel like that's a pipe dream. I, we'll see. I, I like it better than they're always they're trying to push Roman Reigns versus Lesnar at WrestleMania next year, and Reigns ain't close to being ready for prime time. Yeah, he we just, didn't even talk about that. Like Reigns and Orton are two guys that I feel like are okay if they're against other people better. that are higher than them. But those Let's put it two... this way: or- Orton can can deliver a pretty good match against a lot of people. I don't see it being against Roman Reigns. Right. No, I, do, I just don't. Actually, you know what looks to be better? The Brie Bella versus Stephanie match? That's been a pretty damn hot feud. <laughs> that that's actually, been a good feud. That could actually be pretty fun. That's yeah. like that's that's been the feud like like ending raw a lot of these weeks. Like that's that could be the hottest feud of the company right now is that. Um so it's gonna be interesting. We can we can actually watch it on the WWE network. Yes, for only nine ninety nine, as I keep saying on Raw, because I think they, they underestimated or overestimated the number of people that actually subscribed to it originally, so they're trying to pump it. Which the is ridiculous up. because I have people who have subscribed to it who haven't watched wrestling in like twenty years. Like but it. like yeah, I don't know. I think mo- most people are, are, are buying it and not even watching the new match, <laughs> they're just watching the old stuff. All right, and of course we have the very hot Rusev versus Jack Swagger flag match feud. So that we got to do Q and A. We got to. I, I, I have to use the restroom right quick. You want to take it? We'll take a little break, yeah, but then we got to do Q and A because uh, this is this is a long podcast. <laughs> All right, Q and A. Ray Peterson at Ray Peterson twenty four. Are the top loading NES consoles more reliable than the standard NES consoles? Just wondering if they're worth the price. Here's the deal. Yeah. They are... Yeah. If you want to buy one for collector's reasons, go for it. But uh, I, I think I can speak for Pat here as well as myself. Um, 
The top loader is not a better console. It's if, not. If you know how way. to clean and maintain an original Nintendo, which you should know how to do if you're you're really into this. You're a big boy. You only need to do it maybe once every six months of its personal use, and it's going to work better and give you less problems. Here are some issues that I don't like about NES top loaders. No AV out. Other problem. The cartridge slot is too wide. It's very easy to reset a game by bumping it and wiggling it. Huh. It's, it's, I've never. I've seen that with with maybe the cord in the back. It's the power cord. It's, maybe. Th- maybe that's it. You know, maybe I, I'm thinking it's a cartridge slot. Maybe it's a power cord. The other problem is the jail bars, which most people say they can't see. They you drive see me insane. It's almost it's almost like if someone took a, a stencil and went on your TV and lightly put these lines. Like you can, I can notice them. Yeah. So they're neat. Um, and as a collector's item, yeah. I mean, if you want one, get one. But they're not better. Just learn how to clean your games and maintain your system, and that's yeah. really all you need to do. And no, maintaining your system does not mean replacing your 72-pin connector. Pat will agree with me on this one, too. Keep your original 72-pin connector clean, because the replacement ones suck. Either clean them with a good cartridge cleaner, like the Naki Eliminator, which is hot pink. You can't miss it. Or... Uh, with my own personal experiments with boiling pins, uh, which is a thing that has been online recently, oh, yeah, yeah, people that, have, yeah, that has, that. That has actually been working pretty well. So that's all you really need to do. Um, if you want to get your top loader modded, that's an option. Sure. I have had luck with I got mine, or then I got mine at the flea market. That was already modded. I thought it was a good, good deal, but it overheats and it'll reset itself. You know, after, remember it happened in the marathon last yeah. year, after an hour or two. Uh-huh. It just re- so I was like, what the hell is going on? Is that, is, is that typical? Maybe it's just a bad job. Uh, with that, to quote Public Enemy on the top loader, "Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype." Was was that the right amount of don'ts? Okay. I think it was. Okay. Next question. Oliver G. Uh, Fox Sounder. Hey, ten fourteen. Right from the Punk Effect. At the at, at the at the. How did you get involved with that Tetris Ecstasy of Order documentary? What was it like meeting Thor Ackerland? Thor Ackerlin is a very just nice, quiet family man at this point. You know, remember, remember, Nintendo World Championships was 24 years ago. We are all very old people now. And so um, he's a lot older, obviously, and yeah, he's just a quiet guy. He likes playing Tetris. So how I got involved with the uh, XC of Order documentary was they were trying to get the original uh, NWC announcer, Terry Lee Torok, who also did the... Uh, the the uh, the show the, the the video game show with the kid he was also the announcer on that show remember at the end you would go and do the shopping spree and put the velcro oh video it? power season two yes was he just on season two but he was just, the announcer for he both. might have been in the first season two but the video he was, hey I'm Terry Lee Turok yeah yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the game show was yeah. only season two he's got a, he had a mullet and everything yes, so anyway yes. so they supposedly not I, am I stepping on toes I don't care this is the truth. They, they had him lined up, supposedly, to do this the entire time, at least via email. And so I was always either going to be uh, a secondary replacement or the secondary host. Um, so what happened was, of course, I couldn't nail him down. Even three or four days out from the event, I was not going to go to this event because I wasn't going to be the host. The day or two before, they, they contacted me, the, the people that are doing XC of Order, and they said, Terry Lee's not coming. We don't have a host. Can you do it? And I'm like... Okay, I mean, I was pretty friendly with these people. These people on Nintendo Age, uh, Vince, Uncle Tusk, on Nintendo Age. I'm like, I'll do it as a favor, basically. I never hosted a damn thing before in my life, and so I helped put together the quote-unquote format of it. 
it was four fucking hours long. Oh, like when thing. I recorded your um, collection video, that was four and a half hours long. So you I, I, I know, but, I, know, but, I, know but, I know a little something. But about you that. didn't have to entertain anyone and act like a monkey and jump around. I had to. I did have to so, act like a monkey. Holding a camera, You're oh, a put, get over it. Get the <laughs> hell over it. That was your training for the CU podcast. Fuck off. That was your training. Just go. So, so anyway, so um, I hosted it. It was draining as hell. I got paid scale. I basically got paid transportation costs and food costs, and had no involvement in the documentary. But it was fun for what it was. That, that's really the story. But Thor was fun. All right. Okay. That's your. That's going to be the Patreon bonus video, probably. Chris Roberts, CWR2. Oh, that hipster. Is it true that only the most badass collectors own a Vectrex, or is it just a machine for hipsters? <laughs> Fuck off, you goddamn hipster. Next question. <laughs> Karen Niemla. How would the NES glory days be different without Nintendo illegally fucking over all the competition? I don't know. That's that's almost like uh, getting a time machine and trying to work it out. Yeah, I yeah, have you, no clue. Uh, the Sega Master System didn't do well. I'd say less than 5% market share. It could even be made like 2%. No one had a Sega Master System. I personally knew no one. The only times I saw a Sega Master System was the yard sale that I tried to pick one up in the early 90s, which I went back the next day and was gone. Damn you, Dad. So I got a Sega Master System 2. So I was the only person I knew that a Sega Master System was me. And um, so so if there was like Mega Man and Sega Master System, if there was Ninja Gaiden and Sega Master System in the U.S., would have done better? Maybe. Is it absolute? I don't know, because the Nintendo had a good year head start. Sure. And I know. think that's very important, too. And plus, the NES, I, I don't know, just looking at it, it just seemed like a... Fr- Even just marketing-wise, Nintendo had the marketing down pat. They had Nintendo Power <laughs> Magazine. Sega Master System didn't have a good way to get their name out there. Speaking I just want to interrupt. I'm really happy that you haven't made any Patreon jokes yet, because I was really expecting just a slew of those. Don't put that in my head. The whole point is this. Sega didn't do themselves any favor marketing. They didn't have any really commercials that I remember. They really pushed the system. I know they had I know they had system system commercials looking back. Barely remember. I don't remember individual game commercials. I honestly don't. Um so yeah, I think Nintendo would have done well. Would they have been the big sort of when you think of video game systems, you think of Nintendo, like old school ones? Probably. In terms of sheer cultural penetration, I don't know. I think that's sort of a, a toss-up. Atari, I don't see it. It would have made a difference. Atari was so out of their minds at this point, you know, putting out old systems. I don't think it would have made The 7800, no one had that either. No one was going to get the 7800 either way. They did not have... They, there wasn't going to be Mega Man on the 7800 either way. You know, it just would not have happened. Maybe the NAS system... <laughs> can you imagine what a Mega Man game on the 7800 would look like? Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> it's just grimace. That's, what, that's why I'm making a face. <laughs> okay, next question. All right, Chris Sopsich. Oh, God, I got your name right the first time. Chris Sopsich? Sopsich. 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 You got it wrong the first time. I don't remember. What was the impetus behind both of you moving from <laughs> East Coast to the West Coast? Job, family, etc. You say impetus? Impetus, Ian. I don't fucking care right now. <laughs> um, For me, it was... Uh, uh, a, a combo of things, none really more important than the other. It was a lady that I was seeing, uh, the fact that I wanted to go back to school, and it was much cheaper in California, and I had wanted to move out of Buffalo for a long time, and my first choice at the time, Toronto, was just something that I couldn't afford or wrap my head around. Um, after my uh, friend 
ex-girlfriend and I broke up, um, I very nearly moved back to the East Coast. But I ended up sticking around because uh, things started to pick up at the job. I started to make more money. Uh, my friends, my, my friend group had become more ingrained. So I stuck around. And I don't think I'll be in San Diego forever, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't love San Diego. I like San Diego. Um, Is that if, enough of you? But if I moved, I wouldn't be surprised. Makes me sad, Ian. We, uh, it's not doing the podcast anymore. I know. Makes me very sad. We could Skype it if I ever figure out what the fuck Skype is. It's, it's very complicated. Why did I move? Um, I moved because New Jersey offered me absolutely nothing anymore. Yeah. It was just sort of like I hate to say it was just like I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a girlfriend. I had no real uh, friend base. My best friend lived in Pennsylvania, so in terms, as far as I'm concerned, I live just as, as far as I now as I did in New Jersey. You know, I, I see him the same amount of time. I'll see him like once a year if I go back. You know, um, my job was absolutely horrific, and I carried over. When I moved out here, but at least I was away from the environment and the fucking asshole people. At least I was away from them, even though my job actually got worse and my life got worse. Ironically, after I moved out here, because working from home, I basically worked from home. I was working more hours than I did before. They took advantage of it. I was doing the job of two to three people. Not to get too much into it. I don't want to say, oh, woe is me. But I was. Um, so that's why I moved. The, the, the weather sucked in Jersey. The people, by and large, were terrible. I had the worst dating experiences of my life. They, I mean, they, they didn't get better automatically here, but just not good. Jersey girls and me just didn't mesh. Joysy. Toidles. No Toidles. No one says Joysy, except people outside of New Jersey. Toidles. So. All right. Travis McMillan. How has it affected the industry to have two of the three console-making companies not be video game developers? Um, I think that's easier if you look at it from like the viewpoint of Nintendo. Nintendo has always been a game maker, and when you play a Nintendo game, it's very game-like. They like to make sure that there are things that are fun, unique. They try to add new touches, even if they're small things like the anti-grav on you know, the, the Mario Kart 8. Um, the the multiplayer that completely changes how something like Super Mario 3D World is played. I think with Microsoft, it changes how people view a system. Uh, Microsoft coming from uh, coming from the you know the world of PCs, especially OSs, you have really seen a difference in how the uh, the operating systems of a uh, of a console work. I mean, really, you didn't have anything remotely close to a real operating system on a console until you got to the 360. And from Sony's point of view, I, I don't really know what to say about Sony because they've been in games a little bit longer, but I feel like that's where you started to get games that were less Twitch, less platformy, less shooter, and you started to get stuff, you started to get more cinematic experiences. And I think that sort of makes sense given that Sony is in the TV manufacturing business, the movie business, and those sorts of things. So you've got things like how the systems run that have changed. You've got things like the, the actual game experience that have changed. And then you've got Nintendo that seems very staunchly uh, focused on just making a game a video game. Well, I hate to say, is it too cliche to say Nintendo tries to focus on fun first? Or the, the actual fun experience of the games and everything else is secondary? I mean, look at... It wasn't until the Wii U that you have, like, really good integration with the internet and Netflix, that we didn't have any of that stuff really built in. Well, Netflix, but it wasn't great. Yeah, you know, that was like, who cares about that? Now, finally, like, oh, we have to include that, but that wasn't their primary focus. And that's know. because of 
companies like Microsoft and then later Sony. So, I mean, all these companies, I think, have affected each other. I think the problem is that Nintendo's not affecting Sony or Microsoft enough. Well, they did the last generation with, I mean, the the PlayStation Move and Kinect. Okay, I'm sorry, in all the wrong ways. (laughs) Yeah. A little motion control never hurt anyone. Sure. I saw it was funny that the the uh, the president of Sony used to make fun of the the, the Wiimotes. Then they they got basically it looks Wiimotes. like a lollipop, he says, and then they released something that looks literally exactly look like closer a like a lollipop. The the yeah. Wiimotes never had a glowing uh, purpley <laughs> orange ball on the top of it. Yeah. That was just funny. Uh, next question. Do you like, to, do you like to say one of these? You, you go ahead. Ian. NES no. Goomba at NES Goomba. Pat, do you ever consider so? Did, Pat, do you ever consider selling the collection and moving on? Do you ever feel the nostalgia isn't worth it? It's a strange question, a phrase, just how you feel the nostalgia isn't worth it. By definition, nostalgia is this great, warm, fuzzy feeling you get for the past. Now, if you're going to say, is this, is this too much nostalgia? Is it, is it just expounding upon what the feeling is by having too many of this? When is enough is enough? Yeah, I think about it from time to time, but I think it comes down to the fact that this is not just nostalgia. This, to me, is an accomplishment. I, this is this took me a good chunk of my life to get this. Mm-hmm. At least just this wall. Maybe not the Genesis or Super Nintendo games to that extent. Um, to that, that being said, will I pare down? Of course. I think if I move, I'll pare down my collections. I always said I have a bunch of box NES games. Half the ones here I don't really need or really want. Do I really need a boxed uh, Milan Secret Castle? We love Milan. Do I need a box version? No. Yeah. You know, you do. I think you. <laughs> I think you less need a box version of um... Robo Demons. Yeah, that's actually what I was trying to look at. <laughs> or Taboo: The Sixth Sense. You do not need a box version. Taboo is a, a really strange game. That's why I like it. But the point is this: is that I'll read you your tarot. You don't need a fucking cartridge to do it. There's a difference between nostalgia games you actually played, or a game I never played as a kid. Like Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. See, that's where the reference goes because it's natural. Versus having all these games, um, but I think again, this is an accomplishment. Uh, uh, this is sort of my quote unquote my business now. I'm a collector. I'm a video game historian to a small extent. I'm a oh, game reviewer. Oh now the God. Genesis games in there, I don't give a shit about. Maybe I'll still have my Genesis games off, or most of them. All right. What, what did you shake your head for? I, I just, you know, I don't know, whatever. A lot of reasons. You're very antagonistic tonight, Ian. I'm going to show you some, some pat boobs and make you feel yeah, better. Yeah, because we had to start up with talking about suicide. We did start. That was the second yeah, or third it topic. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm just done talking about that shit. David Schultz at Gamer Going Gray. Pick, how much do you inform your customers about bad games balancing need to move inventory with morals? Um, here's my general... Here's the rule that I say to new employees. Um, and, and it's not the rule that I follow, but I will I will touch on it. If someone asks you about a game and you know it to be crap, you can tell them that it's crap. By all means, be as honest as you possibly can. If they ask, is Anubis 2 on the Wii any good? You can be like, no, that game sucks. Don't pick it up. If someone walks up to you and says, I want that copy of Anubis 2 behind the counter... You sell them the copy of Anubis 2 and you don't Because say they're already predetermined. Because they're, they're predetermined. Sure. For me, I, it's honestly something I have to work on. I probably scare away more sales than I really should. I'm sure, I'm sure Trey likes hearing that. Trey doesn't listen to the fucking podcast. <laughs> um, for instance, guy comes in this morning, looks at a copy of Watch Dogs on the PS3. 
goes, have you heard anything about this? I said, yeah, some things. And he goes, what, what's kind of the take on it? And I said, I've heard very middle of the road. I said, but personally, I said, the idea of the game interests me. I just, I haven't had a chance to play it. He's like, yeah, I've heard it's like Grand Theft Auto, but like you can do everything through hacking. And I said, well, I said, that's where I'm kind of curious because a lot of people have told me that the hacking is really secondary and that the game really just kind of plays out more like a Grand Theft Auto. And he's like, oh, well, it could still be cool. And then he goes, well, what about that new Wolfenstein, The Order? And I said, well, you know, I, I did hear that was a pretty good game. And in my mind, because I'm at both stores and I'm working mm-hmm. like crazy lately, we had a copy of it at the other location. Wow. We didn't hear. And I said, oh, yeah, I would go with The Order. I would definitely go with Wolfenstein The Order. And he goes, yeah, I heard that one was really good, too. And he puts the watchdogs down and goes, well, thanks for your honesty, but I, you don't have The Order here, so I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And walked out the front door. And, like... Yeah, I'm like, oh... So part of me felt good that I was honest, but like at the same point in time, I wouldn't have purposely sold him a shit game because I don't believe I don't know how Watch Dogs plays. I don't know it to be a shit game. People, like I said, I, everything I told him up to that point was honest. But if he had had I known I didn't have, had I known that I didn't have um, the new Wolfenstein, which I've also heard very middle of the road things uh-huh. on, honestly, I would have been like, honestly, dude, it's a toss up. I just so, go with whatever seems interesting. So how do you balance? The honesty versus, I have to sell shit in my shop. I'm sure those games you see in the shelves are going to be there 10 years from now and no one's going to buy those games. I just don't push them. I really don't. I can't. And Treg doesn't even do it. We, we don't. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm never, if someone asks me for a recommendation on a game and I'm out on the floor with them trying to find them that something they're going to like, mm-hmm. I am never, ever going to recommend a bullshit game because I want them to come back to me and trust me. Because at that point, then I can start recommending expensive games. Once I've done something good for them twice at like the $15 level, mm-hmm. I can start res- so- recommending them $35, $45 games and they're going to buy them without question. But if I, you know, yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess I'm maybe a little too honest for my own good well, sometimes with it. Maybe you'll get good that person will remember and come back later, right? And, and, Versus a GameStop where maybe the person doesn't give a right. shit, right? And he did say he's like, I will be back, but like you know, that was my first interaction of the day. I'm like, I fucking lost a thirty dollars sale or whatever we're charging for Watch Dogs. But you gained a friend, yeah. So so it's kind of similar to me when I go to a flea market. If someone asks me what should I be pricing these at, I'm like, all right, I got to tell them. I can't misdirect. <laughs> Versus if they just had five bucks on it. Yeah, you know, on a hundred dollar game, yeah, I'll pay five bucks. No, I, I mean, and I do that too with trade ins. If someone comes in with a big bin of stuff and they've got a one hundred dollar game in there, I'm like, I will make you a separate offer on this, but that's actually worth something. You know, I don't ever try to group that stuff in and get like, you don't say here's a bucket price. Yeah, I don't try to get like rare games for nothing. I just can't do it. Except when it's an NWC card, but you didn't know that. I didn't know it was. In, <laughs> I didn't know it was in the fucking bag. <laughs> I still feel fucking horrible about that. Oh, I feel great. I know you do, because it's... I don't feel great somewhere. that I paid that much money, but I feel great that I got it. Um, we got to get going here. There's right. a couple more. I know, that's what I'm saying. So, Nathan In- Wilcox. Okay. Nate Wilcox, 23. In short essay form, does it seem like handhelds have a long lifespan than consoles, and why? Longer lifespan. Longer. I feel like it seems like they have a longer lifespan. I'm not sure they actually do. I think it's because they stagger the releases of handhelds uh, with consoles. The other thing is, on a handheld, you're less concerned about graphics, so you don't have people begging for more features quicker on a handheld like you do with a console. I think the only good example of this is the original Game Boy before it became Game Boy Color. That was about how many years? 
seven years or s- eight? Was Game Boy Color 97? 97 or 98. So, yeah. It was that's my- the only one. Yeah. Because I don't count um, the Game Boy Pocket. That's still Game Boy. Yeah. Um, after that, though, the DS was like five years before yeah, 3DS. They're all about the same Game as Boy consoles. Advance was about four or five years. Right. Which is about a, a Nintendo lifespan. It's the same. But we look at other handhelds. Uh, like like the Lynx was only around for a couple of years. My, that, be- my beautiful. That was around for like three days. Fuck uh, off. Um, the Neo Geo Pocket Color to those listening. Um, the the Game Gear was only around for a few years. Yeah, I mean that's the, the Turbo Express. Does that even count? No. no. So, so think- it's actually I don't think if you actually average out all of them, I think it's less. It could yeah. be only like. Three years or two years? The Game Boy, I think, gives people the initial impression that handhelds lost a long time. And then the way Nintendo and Sony have staggered their handhelds in the middle of their consoles is what makes it seem longer. Because it makes it seem like a handheld is lasting two generations when re- in reality it's lasting yeah. the same length of time. Oh, Game Boy Color was 98, so that's nine years. That's yeah. where people are thinking that that's the exception, though. That, and like I said, the illusion of two console generations, when really it's half of one and half and, of another. And nine years, coincidentally, or not, was also the lifespan of the NES in the U.S. was nine years. Right. So there you go. There you have it. Speaking of handhelds, take it away, Ian. Jeremy Nichols! Uh, he'd like to hear... Uh, well, my name's not in there, so I guess he'd just like to hear your thoughts on the game. Just here. my thoughts. Just all your all, thoughts. All the most important one. Yeah. About feminism just, and handhelds. Oh, I'm gonna fucking die. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Game Gear, if you haven't talked about it already. The Game Gear is not bad from what I've limited amount of play I've had on it. It's a master system in the palm of your hands, basically. Uh, am I impressed with the library? You know, there, there's a good Double Dragon game on it. That's kind of hard to find. Shinobi games. If you, you eliminate know? the horrible life uh, battery lifespan on it, a lot of the games on the system are fun. I just don't necessarily find them more fun than the Game Boy games, and it doesn't have that's a, the thing. And it doesn't have a horrible the, lifespan. I think the Game Gear suffers from a couple of things. It suffers from the fact that its personality wasn't really the personality of the Game Gear is sort of like it's 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 a really weak Genesis because at the time not many people a lot of people didn't realize that there was a Master System when they had the Genesis they right. didn't know about dude, it dude I so, still have people who come into the store who think the Genesis was the first Sega system exactly so to the Game Gear to them is a step down while a Game Boy was a step to the side. It, it didn't have color, but it had really good music, and the gameplay was, for the most part, the same as an NES. Right. You're, you're, so, you, other than the pea soup green, everything was basically as it was on your TV. Exactly. So, But the Game Gear is kind of like, why would I play a Game Gear? You can't really play it on the go. The thing eats batteries, most likely. You know, Why would I play the Game Gear when, when it's worse? The Sonic the Hedgehog on the Game Gear is worse than the one on the Genesis. Why would I bother? That's the way I was in my head looked at it. I knew a couple of kids that had it, but I don't remember them playing it as much as kids playing Game Boy. Not to say that Game Gear... The decent amount of people had the Game Gear. Sure. Decent amount. Um, but no, it's just sort of, to me, sort of like, eh, it's, fun. it's just a fun little... It's like their handheld. It's just like... It's just the Genesis handheld that... I don't know. It's just not interesting to me. If I wanted to collect more, which I don't, I would buy one with an AC adapter for home use, like, specifically, but I just... You know, I have no real interest in it other than that. I got a blue, no. loose blue one. Nope. Right? No. Sports one? No. 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 You don't want it? No. Give a good deal? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just about wraps up our two-hour-long CU podcast, which we've done two-hour podcasts before. So, 
We appreciate the support. We're going to come back in two weeks for our one-year anniversary. We're going to have a cake and everything. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I might actually get a cake. We should we'll, get a cake. We'll probably talk about our finest moments of the past year, including our Girls of Gaming calendar discussion. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, please support. You don't have to. The show's not going to change, but we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash pixelsicle. If you want to support the CU podcast, eventually I'll have my own Patreon for Pat the NES Punk, just to let you know. Not to, not to say you can't give them both or one or the other. It's not a competition. Show us the love. Maybe I'll go see a real doctor. I think there should be a tier level that you get off your fucking ass and play DuckTales HD uh, remastered. I th- I th- That's a goal. I think the tier level should be Ian gets his first checkup in eight years. His <laughs> first... <laughs> All right. You don't look healthy. No. And you have a wedding coming up. We don't want you hemorrhaging <laughs> no. at the reception. So for Ian Ferguson, my name is Pat Contry. Hope you enjoyed our, our new Microsoft, uh, microphone booms here. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks for the one-year anniversary of the CU podcast. Take care, everybody. I don't have a fan here from Amazon. Fuck you, Amazon. Deliver on time. Bye. <laughs>